Hello, welcome to Conversations with Kari. I'm your host, Kari Filer. As a reminder, this episode is supported by listeners such as yourself. If you head over to patreon.com forward slash Kari underscore Filer and give any amount of money, it will be greatly appreciated and it will keep this show on the air. Now to today's episode. I'm speaking with my old friend and colleague, Jason. He is a coder and developer and technologist generally. We talk about work ethic, video games, nostalgia, video game copiers, the varied appeal of Minecraft, the variety of shared culture, Elon Musk, brand awareness, basic income, homelessness, the haves and the have nots, personal responsibility, attention as the one true currency, the age of information, the cultural trajectory of the United States, self-improvement, the rise of China, and other topics. I hope you enjoy the show. So we're live. Uh, so we were saying, I was saying, we were talking about the transition from not being a coder to being a coder. So uh, a business that gives, that gave me the opportunity to transition from just somebody teaching myself code in my bedroom uh, into actually using code to pay my rent, <laughs> getting paid, getting paid to code that I'm grateful for that I'm grateful for. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was like, I was up in Sacramento and the tech scene is not even, a, I mean, it's close to the Bay, but it's not close enough to the Bay. So the tech scene is pretty bad. Hmm. It was hard to find a job. And I knew, you know, once again, being from Los Angeles, that there's a diverse enough um, industries of jobs that I, I was like, you know what, I, I need to apply somewhere in LA. I'm, I'm, I know that city. And um, yeah, if it was like, I applied to another company before SQA squared and it was an internship hmm. and it was 15 bucks an hour. And they gave me the craziest, like, I guess, coding test take home for $15 an hour. And I was like, dude, like this, this type of like uh, assignment is for a job that pays at least $40 an hour. You Jeez know? Louise. So the expectations in LA are just ridiculous at times. And for SQA squared, all, all we did was um, fizz buzz. That's it. We did fizz buzz. That's and it's it. like, this, this is an entry level job, you know, it pays 15 bucks. It's yep. not much, but like, once again, it gave us the exposure we needed to go where we were at, you know, and that's what I'm grateful for. Yep. Yeah. So why don't you introduce yourself, Jason, to the people that are listening? Give us your uh, your potted bio, um, where you're from, what you're up to. All right. Um, my name is Jason. Uh, I'll just state it as that. Um, originally from Los Angeles, California, lived there, bounced around the country, uh, spent childhood in Texas, Tennessee, came back. Um, was a person that didn't know where he was going through most of college. Took me like eight years to graduate. Mm. I didn't know what I wanted to be. Uh, I decided to take the easiest major I felt at the time possible was business. And uh, I do enjoy business, but yeah, I, I graduated in, in business administration marketing. And this was around 2010. So the economy was still crap. Um, I couldn't find a job. Um, and then a couple of my friends told me, hey, you know what, try try uh, teaching because I have friends in education. So I did that. And, mm. you know, I thought I, I, I didn't like kids. You know, I was like, uh, this isn't going to work out, but like I need to pay and uh, the part, the, the hours are flexible, which is great because at the time I just enjoyed my freedom. So I did that uh, and I actually enjoyed it. So I, stubbed, I stayed as a substitute teacher for like a long time from 2011, I think, to 2016. 
then I then I ended up at this. Um, I bounced around the country during that process. I moved to the East Coast, New York City. Uh, I met my fiance at the time um, online, and then I went over there. Um, found out that New York City is quite uh, the uncomfortable city to live in uh, if you're not a baller. <laughs> So, yeah, I ended up, I was like, you know, I got to get back to the West Coast. Uh, the pay is better for a substitute. The, um, the job environment is much, much better for a, a substitute teacher. So I got back here with 200 bucks in my name. And I got a big break in Sacramento and I moved up there. Uh, I worked for a charter school working with at-risk youth. Um, did that for two years, two, two and a half years. And I was like, you know what, enough of this. I, I, I know I don't want to go on to the credential program. I felt it was a big ripoff. So I was like, you know what? Like in my youth, I was pretty good with computers. I, I got my A plus certification. I was always into tech um, because of playing video games. I learned how to build computers. And I was like, you know what? Like I, I've always been pretty tech savvy, but I just knew I, I, I didn't have it in me at the time to learn programming because mm. I the curriculum was too difficult in college. Once again, being the slacker, I chose business, right? Um, so I was like, you know what, this time, I think the resources are out there. I'm going to teach myself how to code. Uh, my cousin and my brother were big inspirations for me in the sense to push myself into the tech industry. So, uh, from 2016 or 17 to 2018, I just, uh, spent every lunch I could, uh, learning how to code hmm. and I put it together and ended up at SQA squared where I met you, man. Yep. 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 <laughs> That's cool beans. That's cool beans, man. Uh, I didn't know. So I didn't know you were self-taught code. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah no. I come from a teaching, in a sense, I was a teacher before, um, you know, before I met you. Hmm. So. Yeah, that's so. cool. That's cool. I My transition was uh, I was doing science and then I came to the end of contract and um, I think my contract wasn't renewed and I knew it was going to be towards the end. And so I had to decide whether I wanted to try to get into another lab, knowing that I wasn't going to make much more money. If if I was going to get into another lab, uh, I definitely was going to make more money or I could switch to code. And mine was just driving rideshare during the day and then um, teaching myself code at night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I think, I, yeah, I remember that about you. And, and that's the thing about like L.A. people and New York City people. Everybody's a hustler, you know, like. Um, self-teaching yourself how to code is amazing in the first place. And the fact that like you were doing whatever you could to do, uh, you know, even driving an Uber, that's, that's the same mentality I have. Do what it takes to get where you need to be in life. You know, where did you get, did you get that from your folks, that attitude? Um, you know, in a sense, I was a big slacker most of my life. Mm. Uh, you know, like I, I cruised through high school. I, 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 I got through high school with my eyes closed and then college was like, once again, being lost and not knowing what to do. Um, and once again, slacking off, I, I think the, the work ethic, I saw my mom, she worked hard, but you know, it wasn't instilled in me. I just saw it all around me. And once again, like I was saying, my cousin and my brother are big inspirations to me. Mm. The fact that they've done so much in their life. So I've been surrounded by people that I felt like had an influence, but nobody taught me uh, the work ethic. I, I can, I attribute a lot of that to New York city. I learned a lot being out there. That's the city, uh city that never sleeps. You did say you were a gamer. Oh yeah. 
um, gamer since uh, three years old. I remember picking up the controller and playing Mike Tyson's Punch Out. Um, and that is another reason why, uh, you know, that adds to the work ethic. You know, you combine what you learn from video games into, into your work ethic. And also adds to the pure love of living. I would say <laughs> what uh, let's I mean, let's talk about games, dude. I, I, I love, love, love video games. So what where did you get started? What was your first game? What were your first early fondest memories about video games? Once again, I, 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 the earliest thing I remember was Mike Tyson's punch out. OK, I remember like my brother being so frustrated with me because I, I, I was like three years old. And then, you know, I, um, I, I was speaking I was a bilingual child, hmm. mainly you know, monolingual at the time, mainly Vietnamese, but like some English, um, Vietnamese household and all. Uh, but I was born here. But my brother was telling me, you know, dodge left, dodge left in English. And mm. I'm like, which way is left? <laughs> I was a very slow kid. I don't know if I've changed. Well, today. I don't know how many three-year-olds know left from right. You got you got some leeway there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I, I remember just getting my butt kicked in, in Mike Tyson's punch out. I remember Contra, uh, Double Dribble. Yep. Um, Mario, of course, Zelda, you know, all those old NES classics, man. Like, I grew up with that and uh, just been addicted to games. Um, Did you ever play Bad Boys? Bad Boys? Yeah. Oh, what what is that game? Bad Boys was a side-scroller where you you and another person playing shared screen, because that was the style, were two kind of... I don't know if you were, I think you were good guys, but you were kind of tough good guys. And you would walk down the side streets and beat up true villains, the true gangsters. I Googled bad guys. I see bad dudes. Bad dudes. Played, bad dudes. No, I never played bad dudes. Uh, I'm surprised. <laughs> I felt like, I, man, back in the day, I was so passionate about games. Like I had to play every single one, but somehow I missed this one. Bad dudes. A lot of time playing that. Uh, Super Mario. Did you ever play... Did you ever play the one where you would run on the pad, where you put a pad down? It was Olympics or, or racer or something? Track and field. Track and field. Yes, that's another big memory. I remember, I think my one of my cousins, uh, they, they got the track pad and uh, we broke that out. I still remember that memory. Like, you know, like it was yesterday. We broke out. It was like four of us. We all just started stomping and, you know, hitting the pads with our hands. That's right. That's right. That's how you cheated. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, man. You only have so much cardio as a kid, you know. That's how you cheated. You got down on your hands. You got down on your knees, and you would hit the foot pads with your hands. Yeah, man, and uh, duck hunt. Remember, like how you chew with that? Just go up to the screen. Right on the screen. Right on yeah. the screen. You know, my is my cousins would be playing. They were all a few years older than me, so they would be playing duck hunt from the couch or from the bed, right? Like you're supposed to, from about six feet away or whatever, seven feet away. Uh, and they would let me play with gun on the screen to make up for my age disadvantage, right? Because I was younger, I could compete by putting gun on screen. And so that <laughs> that's the age I was when we were playing Duck Hunt. I think that's just how most people play Duck Hunt in general. Like, I wonder, like, I've never played it probably since I was 9 or 10. How accurate we would be if we played Duck Hunt today, you know? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I remember, let me think. I learned what that tech was a few years ago. I think it was a a light that it was a light that bounced off of the screen and then it came back and hit the camera. And then I don't know if it if it registered 
the change in frequency somehow somehow it was a light that bounced off the screen and back into the gun and then it registered where it was on the screen to calculate somehow where that where it hit the screen uh i remember learning about that tech but what else yeah i think i read about that and like to me that still sounds so advanced for its time i don't know maybe i'm just dumb (laughs) yeah i mean it totally is why don't we don't have that anymore we don't have any peripherals that that do that i mean now i suppose i suppose now it's pretty advanced with something like uh what would it be like the vr sticks in vr when you're pointing your finger that's the only thing that i can think of that's even like that gun now because uh, we yeah, don't we don't have anything true. that bounces off screens anymore you know it's kind of sad that like the whole light gun genre is dead yeah i guess it is yeah i don't know i'm we're gonna get vr though we're gonna get, do you remember do you remember the different strategies that you had to have uh to clean off the to get the game to work you remember, oh, yeah. you remember moving Everybody your finger? <laughs> so remember moving your finger back and forth exactly 31 times? This was the number for me. Uh, oh. I'm sure it was different for different people. But mine was, and my cousin Lance told me this, so credit to you, Lance. Uh, you had to move your finger back and forth 31 times exactly while the cartridge was in the thing and then pull it out and blow on it exactly twice and then put it in. Boom, works every time. That was the strategy. No. It's so weird that like there was no internet back then, and you know somehow we all have similar strategies. As always, at least you gotta blow the dust out of the, the cartridge, yeah. wipe your finger. I use we use Q-tips, yeah. Um, you know, rubbing alcohol, whatever we could to clean the the contacts. But uh, yeah, you definitely have to blow it. And then like there was also a way when you inserted it into the Nintendo system, and you had to make it click. Did you mm. ever try that? Mm. Uh, we didn't click. We did often have to push it in and then push it down and then stick another cartridge in on top of it yes, so that it would yes, stay yes. down. Yes. That's what I'm saying, man. There was no internet, but we were all doing the same thing. How crazy, right? That was so cool. The early days of video gaming. Um, did you have, so that was Nintendo. What, what system did you go to after Nintendo? You know, like we became like a Nintendo household, like, and my brother, who was eight, eight years older than me, uh, he had a lot of influence. So, like, we definitely stayed a, Ninten- a Nintendo household. But we, after Nintendo, there was a system called Turbo Graphics. Are you familiar with that? Turbo Graphics. Yep. Yep. So I didn't uh, have it, but I'm familiar with it. Yeah, we got Turbo Graphics. I don't know if it was my brother that got it, or did I beg my parents? Because what my brother used to do was. He would always tell me, like, this is the system we should get, right, for the family. So then he would use me to beg my mom and dad for a system. Nice. That is a good older brother. <laughs> no, yeah, for sure. Because uh, I, I wouldn't, once again, like uh, like I said, I'm grateful to SQI Square. And I'm also grateful to gaming because I wouldn't be the person where, you know, where I would be in life without it. But, um, yeah, so got Turbo Graphics. Um, it was cool. Bought a couple of games. And then Super Nintendo was coming out. And by that time, for sure, it was my birthday. I still remember, like, asking uh, my dad for it for my birthday. Mm. So that was the Super Nintendo 1992 or so. Um, Sounds about right. Yeah, went into Super Nintendo. That's still probably my uh, favorite system of all time. What games did you love on Super Nintendo? Uh, Secret of Mana, um, Final Fantasy III, Chrono Trigger, 
man, hot blooded. That, that's an obscure Japanese only game because we um, we ended up getting a, a video game copier. Did you did you ever um, look into those back in the day? What? Yes. So you could copy Super Nintendo games. It was like they had various devices. They always came out of Hong Kong or China or something. What? Yes, you could. So you insert the super big device onto your Super Nintendo. I'm looking at it. I Googled it. Yes. So like uh, you would copy the games onto floppy disks. What? Yes. It was insane, man. I don't think not many people knew about that, but um, I certainly didn't. Yeah. My dad was like, my dad was tired of paying, you know, 50, $60 for a cartridge. So he's like, you know what? And my dad's big on piracy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's so terrific he's like we got to figure out how to get like these games for cheap you know um so uh, i think he was looking through the recycler do you remember that uh-huh the recycler yeah that's the precursor to craigslist yes i was just about to say that yeah the craigslist before it was craigslist so which is just the which is just the white pages but the recycler yeah so we went and he bought like a 300 hundred dollar game copier um from the recycler i remember going to that guy's house man it was so weird like and that was a thing back in the day like you know you put up an ad some guy shows up at your house and mm. buys something from you it's even crazier than craigslist but anyways yeah um the guy's like showing us how to copy the games like okay since he's selling this to us how, how to use it and then he, he he excuses he's like hey can you get your kids out the room for a second and then he <laughs> He tells me and my brother to leave, right? And then he pops in like some freaking like Japanese hentai mm. into the game copy to show my dad. <laughs> oh, these weirdos! How but did yeah. you know if you weren't in the room? How did you find out? I don't. I don't know. I don't know how I. I, I don't remember that member, but I remember the guy asking us to leave. Mm. But then I guess he was like, "These are the special discs, right?" So I <laughs> pop it in myself, and I'm like, "Dude, it's just card." Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious but um yeah so that was the first game copier and that thing was like it was limited to um certain game sizes like certain games were like over 16 megabytes mm. so you would need at least like three floppy disks and uh it also wasn't good at copying some certain games that had there was copyright protections on those cartridges mm. uh, or not it was um so my brother's friend was like, oh, I know another guy that has even a better game copier. He can get it for you. So then we upgraded to that model, which was like, it was like this gigantic device, the size of a Super Nintendo. So it was like a Super Nintendo stacked on top of another Super Nintendo. Hmm. But um, yeah, so like that, that was my years was just um, copying all sorts of games. Uh, it was hard to copy Nintendo games. The actual Nintendo like developed games like Mario Kart or like uh legend of zelda but the other like capcom games were also hard to copy i remember but mm. like, i mean everything else was pretty easy so i had a ton of super nintendo games and that's what i grew up with but uh i'm drawing a blank on my favorite ones Mega Man x was really good street fighter of course street fighter yeah did you ever play um oh gosh was it called pro wrestling maybe that was, was nintendo that, still that's nintendo with, with the, the star, Amazon? with Starman, Starman on Amazon, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Nintendo. Yep, yep. That was a really fun one for sure. Or what about uh, WrestleMania? I guess Wrestle or Royal Rumble, WrestleMania Royal Rumble. Yeah, that one was really fun too. Um, good memories of that. That was on Super Nintendo. 
What about NBA Jam? Do you remember NBA Jam? I do. I do. You're going to have to. Okay. So I've got to narrate this because I'm looking up and there's a spider crawling on my ceiling. It looks I'm I'm cautioned because it looks like he's, you know, preparing his doom drop. I'm going to go get a paper towel and I'll be right back. <laughs> All right. Jason? Yeah, what's up, man? Okay, now he is a small black stain on my ceiling. Oh, that's sad. Don't like spiders, huh? Well, you know, the way I look at it is this. I'm all for the sanctity of life. I believe that all life forms are precious to a, a meaningful degree. But when you, as a small life form, come into my space You've attacked me. You have declared war on me. And so I have every right to defend myself. And that's uh, that's how I feel about it. I will make sure to never show up at your house. <laughs> Unless you're invited. If you're invited, then it's not an act of war. Right, not. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, uh, yeah. I'm, oh, sorry. Go no, ahead. no, no. So uh, yeah, man, Super Nintendo. Did you ever play Krusty's? Uh, was it Krusty's Funhouse? What's the name of that clown from uh, Simpsons? Krusty's Funhouse. If that's a game, I don't think I played that one. I played one of the Simpsons games, Bart's Nightmare. You played Bart's Nightmare? Yeah, Bart's Nightmare. Bart's. Let me see. I played a lot of Krusty's Funhouse. Bart's Nightmare SNES. There it is. Do you call it SNES or do you call it SNES? Uh, SNES. Okay. A lot of people call it SNES. I just called it SNES because I haven't had a chance to refer to it out loud for a long time. I usually called it SNES. Yeah. Um, That's what I grew up on was SNES. Yep. Yeah. I'm looking at Bart's Nightmare now. What about uh, Ninja Turtles? Which one? Like there was the original one and there was, I think the Super Nintendo was Turtles in Time. Yeah, that one. That one was excellent. Turtles in Time was really good. Love it. What What are your What are some of your favorite uh, IPs from when you were a kid that are still relevant? Uh, I mean, you see my my um, my I guess uh, I do. Yeah, yeah. So there's Mega Man. I I think I've beaten every single classic Mega Man series, which is like the one you know, not X. For the people who can't see it, it is an elegant single blue Mega Man. Yes. Yeah. Um, I've been every single one of them except for probably numbers four and five and six, maybe. Wow. Um, I've been the recent ones, 10 and 11, which surprised me was really good. Uh, I thought, you know, like at this point, like 2D platformers are so dead, but uh, they did a good job at it. Hmm. Um, I'm just a big Capcom fan. Once again, like I was big into Resident Evil back when I was young. I felt like it fell off. Um, Street Fighter. I just rekindled that. I didn't like Street Fighter 4, but uh, as of 2019, I got into Street Fighter 5 and uh, actually trying to get through ranked and uh, that. How good are you in terms of relative uh, to competitive levels? Nah, you know, that's, uh, it's, a deep, it's a deep ocean. In it's Street deep, Fighter. yeah. It's real deep. Um, I'm silver. I want to just make it to gold. Okay. And, that would make me happy, you know, if I could hit gold. I hear you. I hear you. I spent a long time in bronze in League of Legends. Uh, and finally, one time I made it to silver and I was very happy. 
<laughs> oh man, yeah. yeah. League of Legends, like when I first started, I, I played pre-beta. Uh, or sorry, beta, right? Nice. Um, pre-ordered the game and it's funny because like all the guys at sqa squared they're really good they're all like diamond plus or whatever and they're like what you've been playing since beta I was like, yeah and they're like dude you got these ex- like i guess some of the skins on my account are like worth now thousands or something what yeah because i have like black alistair and like alistair unchained and all these other skins and i'm just like yeah whatever <laughs> i played season one and season two um and I hit silver, and then, like, ever since then, I just, like, you know what? Like, once again, my life got so busy once I moved to New York City. I put gaming down for, like, four or five years, man. Mm. Um, because, you know, everything that happened up into Sacramento, like, mm. life was really busy. Yeah, like, I put uh, gaming away. And uh, every time I do try to jump back into League of Legends, for sure, I'm at a bronze level or lower Um the game just has changed so much and mm. it's funny on th- this weekend this last weekend i was catching up with some really old gamer friends you know and uh we were just like let's you know let's play something we we're jumping around to like that valheim game and like i was like eh, i'm not feeling that and they they like apex legends which i don't like either okay so we're like you know what let's, let's go back to league of legends for a little bit put that up i was like i know we, we're not good enough for ranked so let's play normal and the guys in normal were like stomping us man <laughs> <laughs> so i'm just like yeah dude i lost it <laughs> well i tell you there are games so i'm a i'm a big gamer um my favorite game of all time is minecraft uh, really yeah 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 well minecraft is by far my favorite game of all time and one of the things that i love about minecraft is that it's not competitive there's no com- there's no way to come you know somebody asked me one time they said uh they said what game that you love are you good at and i said is there a thing as such thing as being good at minecraft is- <laughs> oh, you know no. yeah i have respect for people who create on minecraft and yeah you, that's right you are very like um you're just a developer man you're you're you're, you're a creator well i mean less than that and more just I guess what I want the point I want to make is that for Minecraft, there's really no skill curve. I mean, once you know how to make the tools, you've pretty much become diamond level. <laughs> once you can make a wooden sword, you're diamond level Minecraft. So it's just a fun turn it on and be in a different universe. And it's all, it's, as you said, of your own creation. Uh, it's a true sandbox. I think it's the I don't think it's the first, but it's definitely the best true sandbox uh, on the scene and to think that even before minecraft came along they would call games like grand theft auto a sandbox right <laughs> i mean at the time it was at the time it was at the time yeah. but but you know thanks to minecraft there's no when we say sandbox we mean literally everything that you can see you can change that's what sandbox means no no yeah like people um like my buddy always gives Minecraft so much crap because of the graphics. I'm like, dude, you're overlooking the whole point of it, which I don't play Minecraft, hmm. but I can respect it for what it is, you know? Well, I, I too, I was, a, I was an adult when I started playing. So I was 26 and a junior in undergrad. And so I was, yeah, I was an adult uh, before I, and I said, I had the same feeling uh, that Minecraft is dumb because look at this, what this is this supposed to be a chicken? This is a white cube this is supposed to be this is supposed to be a chicken this is ridiculous looking right have only look at it never played it and then i turn it on and there's no in game well 
at the time, there wasn't any sort of in-game instruction. Uh, you just turn it on, you go, and you go, I don't know what I'm doing, right? There's no in-game instruction. You're just in this world, and you are go up to a tree, or somebody has to tell you to go up to a tree and left-click it. There's no guide for that. Uh, now there is. It's you know, There's a thing that tells you what to do, and there's a kind of the, all the recipes are in the game, and so it's improved in that way. But when I played it, when I first played it, Somebody had to tell you what to do or you had to go online and go to a wiki and see how to do things. And it took me two days, two real life days playing after class before I could survive the first night. And I survived the first night only by pillaring up on a pillar of dirt and just stood there until the sun came up. Pillar out of the range of the skeleton's arrows. And I said, what is this game? And so I immediately fell in love with the the I guess it's the creative aspect that nothing happens in the game, you know. And some people call it user-generated story, and this is something else that Valheim does, uh, where there's not a narrative, or I should say there's a very simple, um, simple, broad, kind of loose narrative that the game creates, but the detailed narrative is up to you. So, you know, you'll say, oh, I woke on this beach, so this is Minecraft. I woke on this beach, and then I didn't see any trees around, so I ran east until i discovered an acacia forest and there happened to be a village and i looted the village and slept in a bed there for the first night and then i went north and found a, a beautiful open field next to a dark oak forest and i decided to set up shop there and then you just kind of make your own story make your own adventure and uh and it's not competitive you can jump in you can play by yourself you can play for 40 minutes 20 minutes and then turn it off so it's also uh, amenable to an adult with a busy life. And that's another thing that I really like about it. Yeah, you know, like, uh, I guess as I get older, um, I don't know. Um, I think as a kid, I would have really enjoyed that type of formula because it's like, I don't know. I, I guess you see it as casual. For me, I see it as a lot of dedication because like in order to do something, you, you really need to dedicate and put your time to it and, and create that world. And that's why I don't like any sandbox games. I don't, I'm, I'm not big into it. Like, mm. uh, uh, what was it? Was that big game that came out like at least ten years ago? It was about like Vikings. Um, big sand, it, a big sandbox about Vikings ten years ago. Yeah, it's like hmm. uh, the Dragonborn. The whole Skyrim. Skyrim, that's the one. Oh, Everybody yeah. was so hyped up oh, about yeah. it. I didn't like it, man, because it's like it's too open. I'm just like I, I don't like. <laughs> I need an objective, or I need once again, I need competition. That's what I enjoy. Like I'm always, I've always been a competitive person. That's, and that's funny. Yeah, I guess we both see it like you see it was one way. I see it as the other. No, no, no. It's just, you know, this is one of the things that's beautiful about the gaming world is that there's there's a there's a, a float for every boat. Right. So if you say, listen, I don't need wide open, aimless, you know, you want all of my attention game. Just give me something I can kill <laughs> in 10 minutes and then let me let me do that. Yeah, let me. Yeah. yeah, nowadays, like, just let me get a match in against somebody. Like, I love uh, competing against people, so let me go and play my Street Fighter for five, ten minutes. Sometimes, even if I'm addicted, like, oh, go like an hour plus. Mm. But um, mm. yeah, I could do that. And gaming, yeah, it has matured so much. Once again, like, I stepped away for five years. It was like coming, like you know, jumping into a new world. I was like, wow, all this has, has happened since I've been gone. But yeah, there's a game for everybody. Mm. Um, there's games for perverts who like like want a girlfriend simulator now. It's like there what? are those, yes. It's such a strange world, like in gaming, and yeah, there's unlimited free games. There's just so many options, one for every type of person, and it's super cool. Yeah, 
Yeah, I dig it. I'm actually learning how to develop in Minecraft right now. So there's a there's a marketplace called uh, the Minecraft Marketplace that Microsoft hosts, and it's where they let creators create items and enemies and worlds and skins, and then you put all these things that you've created using uh, the Minecraft. They're called data packs. And so you can arrange your data. You, you don't actually write functional code. So it's not C sharp or Java or C plus plus or anything. You're just right. You're quote unquote writing in JSON, if you can imagine that. So it's just a data pack and you put it together and then plug it into the Minecraft, uh, Minecraft engine. And it creates this game uh, that you that you've imagined. And so they call it a marketplace. They have it up and people are playing it. And I mean, the 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 breadth of of animations and of inventions i mean i'm talking about cars and dragons and mechs and now that now that i speak out loud there's not a lot of magic and there's not a lot of electricity and those are two things from the java modded minecraft world that are huge so maybe i should Think about creating my marketplace uh, add-on with a little bit of magic and electricity. <laughs> there you go, man. Yeah. Don't don't do what everybody else is doing. Oh, you got yeah, got to fill it. Got to do something different. Got to fill a different niche. Yeah. So you you, you were uh, creating games back in the SQA squared days. Are you still doing that? Still, yeah. My my path is my career path is on games. Uh, I'm just doing commercial development to pay the bills. I never wanted to be a commercial developer. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, like for me, it's like the opposite. Um, from what I heard about the video game industry, once again, like once growing up as a gamer, it's like, oh, you know, you, you got to work in the video game industry. And like, I've known people who worked in it and they're pretty unhappy. The, the money is just better. The treatment is just better in, in commercial. Not to discourage you if that's your No, dream. no, 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 I get you, I get you. Yeah, the money is better. Uh, it's less cutthroat in, well, I should say it's it's, less cutthroat for entry-level developers um in the commercial space because there's so much space right if you've got if you got c skills or you've got javascript skills or something like this you can get a job somewhere somebody will pay you to do something um in in commercial just business to business or solutions or something like this but in gaming it's it's really competitive because there's no you know er, the companies are small there's no promise that games are going to be bought um and a lot of games now are becoming free. So there's a lot of pressure to make free games. So it's even more, even less money to go around. And so companies like Riot are ultra stingy about who they bring in and who they don't. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of money in it, you know, and the industry is going to go big. But I'm pursuing it more for enjoying my life, more for the idea that I woke up as a semi-permeable, semi-solid sentient orb or, or sentient blob on some floating orb i don't know i don't really know what's going on but i can i should enjoy it <laughs> oh, yeah. i should enjoy my 80 I, you know no not 80 i'm gonna get 100 i'm gonna get 120 medicine's gonna keep up with me but yeah as i age um Matt, medical science i think yeah we'll, we'll hit there pretty easily <laughs> yeah yeah so that's that's why i'm going into games just so i enjoy my days, uh, Michael Jordan and my uncle were of the same philosophy in that, uh, you know, if you love what you do, then, you know, you're never going to work a day in your life. And of course, I shouldn't actually now that I say that out loud, I probably shouldn't credit them to. I'm sure many more people than them have said it. But those are who the people who I heard it from. 
uh, that as long as you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. So yeah, no, it's true. It's true. And, um, sadly I cannot live up to that philosophy. I tried to live by it, but you know, like for me, it's you can't, like, or you haven't yet. You haven't yet. Well, I guess I'm still young enough to do something. Oh yeah. Um, but for now, you know, I'm happy doing my grind. I consider it a grind. Uh, the thing is, at this new company, I'm really enjoying it. And the previous company was really good too. But this 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 new company for sure is uh, it's been very interesting. And, and yeah, I'm enjoying the whole process. But um, you mentioned Michael Jordan. Mm. Did you watch The Last Dance? I have not. Oh, you haven't watched? Are you a Bulls fan? Not. No, not really. I'm not a, I'm not a basketball fan. Um, I am a, I am a champion fan. So <laughs> anybody who stands up and says, you know what world come and get me. And they look at the world in the face and then succeed. That's who I'm a fan of. So no, I, I, yeah, I'm all about that too. Yeah. Uh, that's why I, it's hard for me to follow, um, team sports, hmm. but, um, the, t- the only time I was into a team sport was the nineties NBA era, you know? Uh, I just love the Bulls, so I ended up watching The Last Dance. I think if you watch it, you'll, you'll get something out of it. I, I think it's enjoyable for anybody. What's, What's it about, The Last Dance? I know it's about Jordan, but a little bit beyond that. Um, so, I mean, it was basically produced by Jordan, so it's very Jordan-biased. Oh, really? Yeah. And, um, with that, you, you got to take that in mind, but mm. Jordan, Jordan's still a badass, you know, no matter what. Like, he's a badass. Um but it's about the, the last season of the Bulls when it was um, Jordan, Rodman, and Pippen with that record. I think it was maybe after the record-winning season, that 72-10. and 10. Mm. But it, it was their last season together and why it became their last season together. So it was full of this drama and why they broke up. But uh, no, it was just really inspiring, really cool, really well done. Okay, okay. Steve Kerr, Scottie Pippen, MJ, Dennis Rodman, and Phil. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. All of those guys, nineties uh, and like I, I don't know. I just I enjoyed a lot of the players of the nineties NBA era. You know, like it just seemed like the competition was just that much better. But who? What do I know? I just stopped following the NBA after that. I mean, that's when we were of that age, um, to where pretty much you know most, uh, not most. I don't know. Maybe not most probably should be most teenage boys uh, are going to be into teen competition in some form or another. Uh, it doesn't have to be physical competition. Uh, I'm, I understand the argument that, that competition and teamwork and anything like this in a, and especially in a teenager should be manifested in a, in an embodied form. That is to say, teenagers should be physically in the world, not, not just digitally. Uh, so this is an argument against video games that I've heard uh, that, you know, makes sense to me. Um, but yeah, no, that's, that's fine. I was into, I tell you what I'm still into when it comes to Jordan, the 12s. Uh, I'm still, I paid $450 for the pair of 12s that I wore at my wedding. Wait, Jordan, Shoes? Oh yeah. Let me see. Is it the twelves? Maybe I'm talking about the elevens. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so talking about the elevens. The sneakerhead. The pad. I'm not. I'm not a sneakerhead. Ed, by I'm not a sneakerhead by any stretch of that definition. But when I was a kid, and these Jordan Elevens came out with the padded leather loop around the outside, that was the iconic shoe. And if you had that shoe, <clears throat> you were cool. It was an automatic cool ticket. 
in order to be cool, all you had to do was put those shoes on and you were cool. You didn't have to do anything else. Uh, And I never had a pair. And so I told myself, I said, when I get married, I'm going to be wearing these shoes. At some point, I said that to myself, I don't know, about six months before I got married. (laughs) And I was wearing them. Yeah, that's funny, man. Yeah, like uh, I there was a once again when I was probably in fifth grade, so like ninety five or so. Mm. That was the only that was a, probably the peak of my NBA era, you know, my interest, and that was the only time sneakers were important to me. After that, I just like fell out of it, and I don't know anything about sneakers. Um, I just know yeah, the Jordans do look nice. They do look nice for what for what they are, you know. Yeah, yeah, they're just for me. It was for me. It's mostly social. Right. It's mostly what it meant. It's most uh, actually. So I read an article that said you need to recognize where you as a person have tied your identity to a product. So this was about the commodification of personal identity and that America, not just Americans, but it was arguing that people in the West, let's say, have learned to do this uh, and that you should take stock to see if you have some some product and some company that has a bearing on who who you consider yourself to be as a human. And for me, the Jordan 11 was it. And I hadn't thought of it that way. I never thought of that. I said, that's actually if if somebody else from Europe who I have, I don't know this person from Jane and she comes up and she says, Oh, I'm a huge fan of Jordan 11s. Immediately, we're in the same tribe, me and her. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, for sure. Um, once again, I graduated in business marketing. So, like, you know, the whole psych- psychological aspect of marketing and getting people to love their brands. Mm. Like, I, I don't work in marketing, but, like, I remember enough of the, the I guess, the curriculum. Do you think there are any brands that you, that, that you, identify with to that degree where if somebody came up and said oh i'm a fan of this and you go oh we're part of the same tribe maybe maybe um you know for me i'm, I'm so i guess anti-brand because mm. i've learned enough about marketing that i'm just like you know what like this is all consumerism i'm very anti-consumerist uh, mm. consumerism materialism mm. um but yeah you know like I, like if someone says at least maybe five years ago someone said like you know like I like Tesla's five years ago. I would have been like, Holy hell yeah. This is some guy that's on the same wavelength, as mm-hmm. Tesla, you know? Mm-hmm. Cause uh, when I moved to Sacramento in 2016 and I was talking about Tesla's, everybody laughed at me. And really? Uh, yes. It wasn't like, once again, it people was, uh, out of the know, huh? And it's weird. Cause Tesla's out of the Bay area. It's two hours away, but none of these people understood what Tesla was going to be. Mm. And I was just like, how is this California? Like, I felt like in Tennessee and Texas, people were behind on times when I grew up there and Sacramento had that same feeling. Whereas people in LA, you and I, Kari, what part of LA did you grow up in? Compton. Compton. And yeah. I'm over here in um, the San Gabriel Valley, West Cabina La Puente, right? Mm. And it's like, we played Nintendo. We, we had the same technique on how to clean a Nintendo system, you know? And I guess you and I had, uh, just within this conversation, there's a lot of shared experience. Yeah. Just... Yeah. Because we're from LA, most likely, I would I would attribute a lot of that to, to just that. I think I that's know. astute, yeah. But um, yeah, Sacramento is like everybody that I've talked to there. I feel like I, I don't have much in common with them, and mm. yeah, if it comes even down to branding, I guess right. Like uh, nowadays, people are Tesla fans, sure, because it blew up and it's mm. one of the most valuable companies in the world. But like, 
take it back five years ago, anywhere you go in LA five years ago, there would be bound to be at least people who understood what Tesla was. I'm looking up now when the first Tesla Powerwall announcement was. So that's when I became a fan. Uh, I would guess 2015. It looks you hit it. Yeah, 15. Yeah, you nailed it. So I was I was appreciative of Tesla, right? I wasn't I wasn't anti Tesla in 2014, 2013. I'd heard of them, uh, electric cars. And I knew Elon Musk from PayPal. And, you know, I kind of knew his story more or less. that He was a smart guy doing cool stuff. So I wasn't against it, but I wasn't a fan. But then when I saw the announcement of the solar roof power wall combination, I said, oh, Tesla has changed the world. Elon Musk has changed the world. <laughs> and the yeah, world just hasn't caught up yet. I, I tried to, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, because to me, the solar roof power wall combo, game over. That's the sure. way to run the power grid. Yes, because you're storing the energy that you're creating from the sun. Yes. Yeah, so, and, then yeah. You, and then the house is storing it. So imagine Los Angeles. Imagine the neighborhoods we grew up in where every roof is solar and every house has a built-in battery. That, that's the way to run a, an electric grid. The entire West, entire West of America, like so much sunlight. Mm -hmm. That would be, you know, like freeing us out of all sorts of like uh, polluting just ways of energy. Why not? Like we could live off the sun, store the energy at night, use it at night and just be independent from these crazy like uh, corporate energy companies, man. Like, I'm going I don't know, to guess that if... So if you covered every roof in California with a solar roof, with a Tesla solar roof at its current efficiency and those houses had uh, batteries, could we we could probably replace all the nuclear and coal power in the state? No, probably. I think Elon Musk, like once again, I take everything what he says with a grain of salt because he exaggerates a lot. Um, Musk he time. Said, <laughs> <laughs> he yeah. said you could power all of the United States with probably like uh, the area the size of, I don't know. 100 square miles. Yeah, something, something not yeah. that large. Not compared that large. To, compared to America, right? Compared to even a state, like a remote corner of, of Nevada could power the entire US. Yes, exactly. And it's like, why aren't we doing this, you know? Political will and ignorance um, and, and yeah. idiocy, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's why a whole- a whole conversation in itself. That's, well, that's why we're here. <laughs> yeah, that's Elon Musk. So I'm of the opinion that Elon Musk is the one sane person on a planet full of crazy people. Uh, and the reason is that, uh, of course, that's an exaggeration. But we all, us non-Elon Musk people, we consider so heavily what other people will think about who we will, how we will behave. We think we consider it so heavenly. What will my mother think? What will my brother think? What will my sister think if I do this? If I if I try this, if I take this leap, if I do this thing, we operate with so much social fear that it prevents us from just thinking about what's possible and then going after it. He doesn't have that. Um, he doesn't have that social fear. Uh, he just says, OK, what's possible? He thinks about it for himself. He's an independent first principles thinker and he goes after it. 
Uh, and the fact that he's the only one, I think, is a disgrace to our culture. We should have so many more Elon Musks in the world. Um, yeah. yeah, that's what I think. I mean, you know, like I have tremendous respect. I think he uh, for Elon Musk. I think he's probably going to go on to be the greatest businessman of of our lifetime. Mm. Um, but that's what exactly what he is. He's a businessman. He's a great one and super smart one at that. But once again, he's he's going after his own interests. I don't think he's here to save the world. He's here to pursue his passions, I believe. And you know, like, and with that, he just likes rockets. He likes electric cars. He likes fast things, shiny things, whatever. That 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 that's his prerogative. And he, I think, at times he tries to play it off as like, you know, like I'm trying to save the world. Maybe he is, but I doubt it. Like, well, I think. See, I think you're right that he's pursuing his passion. But I think his passion is saving the world. That's. <laughs> so you think you think he's an altruistic person then? Uh, do I think what I call Elon Musk an altruistic person? Would I call him an altruistic person? No, but the reason I wouldn't call Elon Musk an altruistic person because that word altruism is often synonymous with selflessness. So somebody thinks of someone who's giving of themselves freely. Uh, some uh, A nurse, all nurses are altruistic people, right? In order to be a nurse, you have to be altruistic. You have to be giving of yourself, some usually more than you're getting back. Uh, and so you, there's a certain level of kindness and self-sacrifice that I think often goes with that connotation, with a connotation of altruism. And so I wouldn't call him... Altru altruistic no i would say that elon musk is a first principles thinker and that he also operates with the with the moral concentricity that is to say he operates with concentric circles of morality so that means that what you do your moral north star needs to point north for you as a person it needs to do that first for you as an individual and then it needs to point north for your family for your immediate family sisters brothers mothers children wife then it needs a point north for your extended family, then your community, then your city, then your region, then your state, then your species. And if you can come up with this with an action and a set of actions and a set of behaviors that uh, that hit all the hit all the I's and cross all the T's for these morally admirable behaviors that go across all those concentric circles then that's the best behavior for you and if you can get excited about those things as well and if those things can motivate you to go out in the world and they fill you with a sense of joy and purpose if you can find that set of behaviors for yourself and enact them that's first principles thinking and i wouldn't call that altruism no i guess i could agree with um with that I yeah. Just, um, and you also, to I mean, to your point also, he is a businessman, right? So Elon, one thing that Elon does differently than a lot of other businessmen, a lot of other businessmen, Elon says, what does the world need, right? He asks himself this question, what does this species need to be awesome, right? What does the species need to be interplanetary? What does the species need to thrive? And then he says, how can I make, make a bunch of money providing what this species needs? Yep, Most yep. businessmen say, how can I make a bunch of money first? And then they say, what do people want? What is it that people act like they want? What can I give people to give them to give me their money? That's how people go about That's a lot of businessmen start their entrepreneurship journey, journey. And that's backwards. You need to think about the species first, then your profits. 
You don't think about your profits first and then the species. That's backwards. I think, yeah. I think Elon Musk has, has a little bit of that where he finds uh, a problem. He's an inventor, right? He's an innovator. Oh, yeah. He's absolutely an engineer. So he challenges himself and it also interests him. Like, okay, how, how do we keep humanity going? Oh, we're going to need to go to Mars or the next planet over and start a new uh, civilization. So like, okay, that's my hobby now. I'm going to try to pursue that. How do I, you know, turn around the fossil fuel industry? Oh, with electric cars. So he pushed himself for that. I, I don't know. That's the way I see him. Like he, he finds a, a challenge and with his ingenuity, he makes it happen, man. So like he's, he's such a great businessman, but um, I feel like he's self-serving at times. Um, but what businessman isn't, right? Well, I think he's self-serving the whole time. <laughs> I don't think he's I don't think he's ever not self-serving. Um, he's just a good example of someone who has discovered self-serving in a way that is also world serving. He's always self-serving and he's world serving. We're all going to benefit from his basically hobbies. So, yeah, no, yeah, like, I yeah absolutely. I give him so much props, like without him, like, and the thing is, um, I think I found out about Tesla in 2005 or six from the Roadster. It was in um, Car and Driver magazine. Because mm. back then I used to love cars and would be like, oh, I can't wait till I get the Supra or whatever. You know, that, that was like my thing. <laughs> you know, LA, Fast and the Furious, right? <laughs> so, yeah, like I, I found out about the electric car, you know, always being a techie. I was like, holy crap, they're going to release an electric car. How is that even possible? And it's a Roadster and it's super fast. And that was pre-Elon. I didn't know Elon... Um, hadn't worked for Tesla. That's right. He didn't. He was. He's not ground floor Tesla. He's just early big investor, and then he became the spokesman. And you know, he's yeah. he's one and one. He's one and one with the brand now. But he wasn't. Nope. He wasn't ground floor. Yep. yep. So like, yeah, I, I didn't know. And um, I don't remember when he got on my radar. I think around two thousand twelve or thirteen when. He was starting to yell about like how cars would be fully autonomous and i was like wait so th this company that made the roadster is talking about cars that will drive themselves like my mind was blown like mm. what the hell and uh, after that it was like um i just followed the company for uh you know ever since then and i invested as soon as i could and um yeah I'm, i i love tesla in a sense i wouldn't say it defines me like that brand defines. I don't think any brands define me because I'll buy generic stuff. Like mm. to me, once again, anti-consumeristic. Like we're all like marketing to me is all just trying to trick people to blow money where they shouldn't have to blow. Like mm. people overspend on things they don't need to overspend on. Mm. You know? like, I remember back in the '90s when Sony was like the hottest thing. Like if you had a Sony TV or you had a Sony phone or you That's had a right. Sony, everything Sony was so like perceived to be like the highest quality, which was in a sense, it was wrong. A lot of the times people would brag about the Sony DVD player, but people didn't know that the Sony DVD player was one of the crappiest DVD players out there. Hmm. Yep. Like, I wouldn't have known that. Um, Playstations. That's why they failed a lot of times because the lasers suck. I do remember that. <laughs> yep. I remember these PlayStation suck. Oh my gosh. Their DVD player was the worst. It never worked. It never, ever worked. And it would burn out. It would burn out in such a short life, like the PlayStation 1s, PlayStation 2s. And um, yeah, like I remember when I had a PlayStation 2, my friend brought it over, you know, he's like, oh, look at this. It plays DVDs. So cool. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. And I remember it's struggling to play certain DVDs, right? Yeah. And I, and I bought this one Chinese, like 
knockoff DVD player. It played VCDs because I needed VCD format at the time. And it was like 20, 30, like, oh, not 20, I'm exaggerating, maybe like 50 bucks to 100. So mm. it's super cheap mm. compared to, to like a video game system or any DVD, any Sony brand item, basically. It was like 100 bucks. And it played it super well. It, it, it played VCD super well. Like, it was just amazing. I was like, holy crap, for like 100 bucks, like, it outcompetes my Sony's. Mm. It's just like, that was like when I knew, like, you know, a lot of the times a brand is just a brand. Like, the perceived value is because of the, the image that it was able to create from years past. Because, yeah, Sony TVs were good back in the 80s and 90s. That was the TV to have, right? Mm, mm. And now that's the Samsung and the LGs. So, you know, um, they did TVs well, but doesn't mean they do everything well. Um, same thing with like Beats headphones. People obsess about Beats headphones or like anything Apple is to them. And Apple does do a decent job at a lot of stuff, but it's not, I think when you throw an Apple logo on something, the, the premium just goes up. And a lot of times you get a similar competitive product that will do just as well for half the price. Remember when Apple tried to copyright the rectangle? <laughs> what? I think I forgot about that, but it's, it's so crazy. Oh my gosh. It kind of rings a bell because, yeah, it's the, Apple would do something crazy like yeah, that. Yeah, how arrogant. They tried to sue, I guess it was Samsung, for coming out with a smartphone that was shaped re- in like a rectangular prism. You can't copyright a, a polygon. What's wrong? <laughs> like, no, no, that's our shape. Yeah. Uh, what do you make it? What do you make it a circular, a circular wheel? Pay me for that. How crazy, but like talk about their arrogance, right? Did you hear what's going on with them and like uh, Epic Games? I think the creators of Fortnite. Yeah, so I'm, I'm of I'm of two minds about this. I'm of two minds about this. So Epic broke the rules. Okay, Epic signed a contract that said we would not sell games on our store, and while they're also selling them on selling them on yours uh, with with apple and they broke that rule they they violated their word so they signed their word and they violated that's wrong all right that's more wrong and apple is kind of a huge behemoth and they're trying to keep all the competition out and they're goliath right so i don't feel any sympathy for apple but epic did break the rules um or at least what they they broke their they gave they broke their word there's no and we'll see what the court says right if the court And you tell me, you know, I only know the surface level stuff. So tell me where I'm getting this wrong. But I think the courts are going to rule on whether Apple has to continue to list Epic's games, even though they're selling them at the same time. Is that what the court's ruling? Um, You know what? You're you're following this way more than I am. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I don't even know about something. It was my understanding that they, that Epic signed with Apple and said you can we'll sell our software through you and Apple said great just sign and say you won't sell it yourself and then Epic reneged on that and started selling it directly themselves violating the rules and then Apple took them to court to say hey uh they got to pay us money or or something like this so if a you know if a judge rules I guess we'll see how much the judge rules for uh I'm of two I'm of two minds you know I I can see where if the judge rules in favor of Apple, I get it. If the judge rules in favor of Epic, I get it. Uh, I guess I'm more excited if they rule in favor. You know what? I was about to say I'm more excited if they rule in favor of Epic, but that sets the precedent of now anybody can just sign a contract and say, "Okay, never mind." Um, that's an important principle. Uh, there need to be stiff punishments for violating voluntary contracts. 
for sure for sure yeah. like, i didn't know about that and um yeah no like, at this point like if that's the case that i would hope the judge rules in favor of the law like you write mm. a contract you need to abide by it that's just how it goes but um what i was gonna say was the arrogance of apple was that they tried to drag steam into this valve mm. did you hear about that i don't know i don't know anything about that so like you know you know steam is right uh-huh oh yeah oh yeah gabe okay so like they sell pc games on a digital platform oh yeah i've got two it's games similar. on steam yeah it's similar enough to the apple play store but it's not mobile right so like mm. apple is trying to basically subpoena uh steam valve it's like hey you know like you have records of your sales Let, give us this record it's like wait give like once again, I just read this briefly. I could be wrong. Mm. But um, there, uh, Valve was like, wait, we're not even in the same uh, style of marketplace. We sell PC games, yeah. not to mobile. Like, why should we release your fi our figures to you? First of all, who are you? You're not like, you're not the FBI. Who are you to call out? We have nothing to do with you and Epic, basically. Mm. Mm. And Apple's over here trying to shake down people that have nothing to do with this fight. Um so yeah, that to me, that just shows like how powerful and just bully-like Apple is becoming, you know? Or not becoming, they've always been. I think the time has come for the American people to to unionize. So a, a workers' union is when, let's say we're talking about the docks. So all the people who work on the docks, you could have a situation where the loaders are run by one company the unloaders are run by another company the crane operators are run by a different company uh, and even these companies are even split amongst four or five companies apiece on the different sections of the dock and so you have then you have 30 technically 30 different companies all running the docks and another company that runs the gates right the private security at the entrances and the exits so then the workers are all at this in this theoretical environment a hypothetical environment ostensibly working for separate companies so they have no right to they couldn't unionize because they're working for separate companies but they are union uh this is the dock workers union right so you can't go in there and with these weird split company tricks to try to separate them this is what keeps their living standard high this is what make gives them an honorable job this is what lets them uh raise their families in comfortable situations so i'm all for unions but International corporations have become more powerful than state governments and, and often national governments. Um, they're so strong. I think we need a a workers union of the United States people. Uh, and so I think that would come in the form of basic income. I think that would represent all of us saying to each other, we don't need you to live corporations. You need us. Uh, it would be a reverse of that dynamic. And so this is just my thinking about how powerful companies are, because I don't see them getting any less powerful <laughs> anytime oh, no. soon. Yeah. Can I ask who you voted for? Oh, no, totally, totally. I'm Yang Gang. Yeah. I, so you asked who I voted for. I voted for Joe Biden. OK, I voted for Joe Biden because Donald Trump was a big orange nightmare. Sorry to all the Trump supporters. I hope we can uh, remain friends and I'd love to talk to you. But I am no fan of Donald J. Trump uh, or his family or his style of, of lead by bully and buster and lie. Uh, I am no fan of that. Uh, so I, therefore I voted for Joe Biden, but I'm also not a fan of Joe Biden. Joe Biden to me represents 
a style of politics that never is really going to land any material benefits for the common class. I think he's a lot of talk, a lot of empty talk uh, about trying to fight for benefits for the common class. But where are they, Joe? Where are the checks, Joe? Why'd you argue, why'd you argue them down to 1400 bucks? That's ridiculous. Uh, so I'm a huge fan who I actually care about in national politics is Andrew Yang. I am Yang gang uh, all the way. I love Andrew Yang. I love Bernie. Yep. Where yeah, do you stand? That's uh, that's the two I wanted to win as well. Um, nice. I've been like, you know, like I, I wanted Bernie to win in 2016. Didn't happen. And then 2020 was Yang and Bernie. So I was split between the two. Uh, I knew Bernie had a better chance. So I supported him. And then, yeah, of course, once he lost, it was like, okay, you have to go with Biden. Cause, mm. um, as much as I love Trump people, you know, I do love Trump people. Mm. And I, I, I am a conservative in, in a lot of different ways too. Mm. Um, no, like uh, he, he was not the president. Like he was probably the worst president in our lifetime. Like, um, I mean, Bush, I'll take Bush over Trump, you know, like yeah. that's how bad it was. was yeah. like, dude, this guy, once again, to go back to your corporate uh, corporations running America slash the world. Mm. Yeah. Like he just empowered them even more. That's right. And we don't need like, dude, there's there's companies hitting two trillion dollars uh, market cap. They're going to become four trillion dollar market cap soon enough trillions of dollars like this is an amount of money that and power that a single entity shouldn't have and um i'm not i'm not big into unions but if that's what it takes to counterbalance uh, corporate america and corporate world like i guess that that, that is a, a solution yeah it's a similar force to so the rise of democracy uh, it's I think now I'm not a historian. So any historians listening to this, just email me and correct me. Uh, so I think the rise of democracy was spurred on and and in in energized against kingdoms, right? Monarchy, which was which is private power, right? Kingdoms and monarchies were private power. It, it, this they, they were just ter they weren't necessarily tyrannical because tyrannical means vicious. You could have a very benevolent king. I think China has a benevolent leader right now. Uh you could have a benevolent leader. So just but that's also singular power, right? And so this is what the kingdoms were. And so we said, no, we're going to give power to the people. This is the democratic experiment where the common will lead We are, and will choose our leaders and, and it will be up to us. The fate of the nation will be up to us. This is a new experiment. Uh, and it's currently being eroded as power slowly returns to the private sphere. That's what that's what's going on. Um, power tends to concentrate as a phenomenon. It tends to just like gravity is concentrated in a, in a center of a black hole and will only continue to concentrate there. There's really nothing you can do to stop that. Um, power is kind of like that. It's kind of like gravity. And so if we want to continue to keep our spacecraft from falling into the center of the planet or at least attempting to fall into the center of the planet, we have to keep. A, a force and a velocity that goes against it. And that is the intentional conscious distribution of power to the people. Uh, that's why that's such a powerful phrase. Uh, and so I like to use the idea that power is money. Uh, we all know that, or a lot of us believe that. And so when you give money to the people, which is basic income, you're giving power to the people. And so I think a, me a mechanism like basic income would allow people in Flagstaff, Arizona. Uh, let's see the population of Flagstaff, Arizona. Population of 
Flagstaff AZ 2020. So Flagstaff, Arizona has 77,000 people in it. Uh, if you provide a basic income of a thousand dollars a month, should be more. But if you provide a thousand dollars a month, that's seventy-seven million dollars that's going into Flagstaff, Arizona, every month in their local economy. And so they can say to McDonald's, Starbucks, Coles, whatever corporation the people of Flagstaff don't want in their town, they can kick them out. They can say, "We don't need you, Walmart. We don't need you. We got enough money here. Uh, we can provide our own goods and services." Uh, and I think that this type of structure this type of this type of social program this type of of structure can bolster capitalism such that uh the corporations now won't have because apple has so much power because you kind of want to use their products and so i i guess i should say that i understand that people choose monopolies right we we, we choose apple because they make awesome phones right we buy their phones Ultimately, the power that they have comes from us. Uh, the same with Amazon, Google, Samsung. These companies have power because we choose them. And so we should have an economic paradigm that recognizes the fact that the power comes from us and returns some power to us and just allowing it to concentrate. No, no, um, that's that's Yang's whole platform. Yep. And, and the thing is, what I'm afraid about that is um, like we would have to implement it just exactly like how Yang intends for it to be implemented. Um, but yeah, you said a lot of interesting stuff, which I want to touch on, but uh, let's talk about this first. But um, yeah, um, just, you, you, I don't think you can just give people money without major consequence. Mm. Uh, like if, let's just say we started the universal basic income program, right? Everybody's getting two grand a month or whatever it is. Mm. and uh, But you keep welfare systems, you keep all this, pork spending that uh, our government does like military that that's just going to cause inflation you know and it's going to cause to the point where the, the dollar becomes useless worthless mm. keep printing money if you keep printing something eventually everybody's gonna have so much of it it means nothing mm. and that's like the cryptocurrency uh i guess my my reason where i'm like starting to get more and more into the cryptocurrency Back in 2017, I was like, oh, it's just a gamble, you know? Mm. And like, uh, I kind of bought into it, got into hype. And then I was like, okay, it died down. I was like, wait a minute. It's, it could be just a bunch of baloney. But like, no one saw Trump coming. No one saw COVID coming. And the trillions of stimulus that are, is being pumped out right now. And that should, no, I agree with you that people should be getting that money. That is our tax dollars. That should be going into the hands of the citizens. Instead, like, maybe like 50% of it or even less goes to the people. And then the rest goes to like bailing out corporations once again. Mm. But uh, once people get the money in their hands, yes, they choose to buy Apple. They choose to buy Microsoft. And that goes back to their branding. People are brainwashed to thinking this is the way like Apple makes the best phone. Mm. I'm just going to buy another Apple. So yes, power does concentrate. And I mm. agree with you on that, that like power in any form, be it fame, be it money, be it good looks, any type of power, it just in nature, I guess it just attracts. Like if you see a woman that's hot, you're going to go up to her. Mm -hmm. She's going to attract many more people. Mm -hmm. If you see a rich guy in a freaking Ferrari, you're going to look. Girls, women are going to go look to that guy. It doesn't matter. People are attracted to power. Mm -hmm. And that's just, once again, just like nature, right? Um, money, it could be gravity, big objects, powerful objects attract things. Yeah. 
that's just how it works. But if the thing is, it, um, to go back to the money printing, like if we keep printing money and we keep all these bad, like terrible, terribly ran um, government programs, it's just going to cause crazy inflation to the point where the, where the U.S. dollar or even any currency becomes worthless. Um, it would. It would. Now, I'm not for printing money. Uh, not at all. So I think that a basic income should be funded mostly through, if not entirely, through a tax. Uh, as well as I am personally for take or I'm personally for allowing the basic income to replace all of the current cash programs. So all of the SNAP and earning income tax credit and all the cash equivalent programs, GR, uh, GR generally. I just think basic income should replace those. You should just get rid of all those. And now we have a basic income instead. And then basic income should also replace the first thousand dollars of Social Security and first thousand dollars of unemployment insurance. Now, I don't want to replace those systems entirely. Uh, I think elderly people and disabled people oftentimes and, un and unemployed people will often need more help than the basic income will provide. And so we should have systems in place that can help those people uh, to the degree that they need it to keep remain socially dignified. Uh, so I'm not calling for getting rid of those systems entirely, but I think that having a basic income should could could and should replace the first thousand dollars or whatever the equivalent is of the income uh, of those programs. And it should come from a tax. And I think that if you do that, you will keep the inflation in check by by not printing money. I'm not for printing money, just like the debt. Uh, it's my understanding that debt can, tends to keep dollars in check because for every every time you, you the Fed issues a loan to a bank for a trillion dollars, then that trillion dollars goes to the bank. But there's also now a ledger for a trillion dollars, a trillion and one. Right. Because there's a zero point zero one percent in uh, interest rate. So there's that money's being clawed back. And so because there's a debt to balance the dollars, it's not just printing and the inflation doesn't run away. Uh, so I think a similar principle would come into play with the basic income as long as it's taxed. Um, and I don't think you should just burden debt onto the people. I'm not for that. But I, I, yeah, I'm not for printing money. I'm not for printing money. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. Once again, like uh, getting, you know, being reasonable with the, the, the government programs and not just throwing money left and right to everybody. Um, yeah, I think basic income should replace all ca all cash equivalent programs. And I also think that basic income should start at 25. I argue for it a little bit differently that way. A lot of people argue starting it from 18. I started from 25. Yeah, I mean, overall, America, there just needs to be a lot of overhaul of a lot of things, not just the financial system. Um, well, but the, yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm very skeptical of government because I worked at a government agency and mm. I saw how they treated the tax dollars when they were giving it to them. Mm. And it's just like, man, like there's just so much waste. That's right. There's and a lot of waste. Like, and one of the things that would keep a basic income slim is by having no means testing. Right. That's what that's what we keep the program slim. You don't means test it. Everybody who's got a Social Security number is automatically enrolled. Um yeah, I mean, at this point, yeah, we have to, we have to basically, yeah, we have to tax the corporations because I, I believe in the seventies or pre Reagan, the tax rate was supposedly like seventy percent. Now yep. it's like thirty percent or something. So yeah, yep. let's let's go back to that. You know, let's go yep. back. Like it wasn't like corporations were dying left and right pre seventies that I could recall in history. Um, so yeah, we can go back to that. Tax them. Give the people the you know. Yeah, people in America, there's too much 
income inequality. Like people are like going broke out there. There's all these facts and figures where people can't even like make like a come up with like a five hundred or a thousand dollar like uh, cost if yep. it hits them out of nowhere. It's like yep. dude, people have no money, and it's just it's, it's disturbing, you know. And it's obvious. America to me is like it's a crumbling cr- uh, country. Like um, I went across this country four times now, mm. maybe, maybe six, driven from LA to New York mm. and back multiple times. And seeing the state of, I don't know, have you ever been to like the Midwest or in the South? I have. What parts of, uh, just what parts? Um, Midwest, Chicago, um, the South. I've been to Tallahassee. I've been to um, Augusta, Georgia, been to Atlanta. Yeah, those parts don't sound too bad. But Chicago, like compared to say like Ohio. And if you've ever been to like Louisiana or like seen the bad parts of Louisiana or bad parts of the South. Because Atlanta's a nice city, right? I've seen... So when I went to Atlanta, it was... We were driving through. We went to the MLK Memorial uh, Museum. And so I was, I was about 12, 13. Uh, we just went to the touristy spots. I didn't do anything. In, I, didn't, I didn't engage in inner, inner city and, you know, in real Atlanta in any sort of way. Um, the most engaged I've been in the South. What would it be? So I guess when I went to so when I went to Augusta, Georgia, it was with my stepdad's siblings and they lived uh, Augusta is not a large town. And so we went there and they we went to their house and we went out on the lake uh, for a while and it was hot as hell outside and the AC was running inside and you drank sweet tea and people were nice. So (laughs) that was my most engagement with the South. I was about 14. I mean, I think America in the 90s was a totally different place than it is now. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, like driven, driving across and being in all these different states so many times now. Um, I went to, you know, I went to the South numerous times. I lived there, went to Louisiana and there, like, I think a little bit after Katrina or maybe before. Katrina. Wow. Yeah. So like it, it was already a, a shithole of, you know, like the South in general is just like terrible in certain places. And I'm like, okay, recently went to the Midwest, Pennsylvania all the cold towns, all the steel towns. And I'm telling you, man, like people don't realize America's a third world country. Like mm. did you California in itself, look at the rules, look at the homeless uh, crisis that's going on. Yep. You know, in Texas, their, their energy grid because of cor- like corrupt greediness, they couldn't even keep their energy grid. Like this is supposed, and they're the energy state. This is a first world country. Like my, my parents are from Vietnam. Mm. Growing up in the nineties, it was like, oh, yeah, that's the poorest place in the world, Vietnam. You know, they went through a war. Like, it's a piece of crap. So, like, growing up with that, like, even to the, today, it's hard for me to imagine Vietnam being a, a prosperous place. But, like, I watch these YouTube videos of people who, like, these expats that go out there, like, oh, it's so cheap to live here and look how we live. And it's like Vietnam has such modern infrastructure. There's mm. no garbage anywhere. And it's like this is a country that was war-torn and had crap and had no plumbing had no like uh, education and here they are they 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 alleviate so much poverty issues and they actually have modern infrastructure their streets are clean you don't see homeless people just sleeping on their streets man Mm. this looks like uh, the way california looks i think it looks worse than brazil because at least in the favelas of brazil they have steel little shacks 
these homeless people are just sleeping on our streets, man. I think what's so what's so impoverished about the state of our one of the things that's so impoverished about the state of our nation is that we don't regard each other socially as peers. Uh, you know, when when a, a commoner like myself in Los Angeles, when I complain to a this is a hypothetical, but if I complain to some wealthy person about the homeless in LA, they're a, a knee jerk response. You can imagine is, well, why don't you go help them? Why don't you go down there and feed them? Uh, well, I'm a common person, right? <laughs> what am I, you know, and there are people that go down and help, by the way, uh, there are tons of programs, um, that ha- they're helping people in downtown LA and, uh, Skid Row is worse than a third world place. Skid Row is hell. Uh, it's absolute hell. And we just need, Social programs, right? Uh, I think so. I imagine we could have kind of like neighborhoods or, or whole regions where it's one person that owns it, right? One person owns it and it's covered in solar panels, and the solar panels themselves generate. Uh, enough money and there's some batteries on site as well and so the solar panels and the batteries generate enough money for that land to make it profitable uh, just as it exists it doesn't doesn't need anything other than to be maintained Uh, and it's profitable just maintaining the solar panels on this land you could underneath these solar panels put in small homes uh tiny homes they're they're called there's one called the no the nomad cube uh let's see the nomad cube house i'm googling it right now let me see is it called the nomad cube house uh yeah so the nomad cube house so you could have tens hundreds i mean you could have a bunch of these things underneath the solar panels and just let people live there with rules and just say look you have to keep it clean right if we get some sort of bug infestation or noise or 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 disorderly conduct or something like this then you have to follow rules right you can't you can't disrupt the the community uh, then you would have to leave this is private land owned by one person who's making money from the solar panels but then you just have you know 80 100 i don't know how many of these things you you could put there you could just have a community for people to live in right and that's it that that would if you get the, if you get up thirty six thousand of these things, uh, maybe fifty six thousand in Los Angeles, you've solved the homeless price, crisis. Now, actually, I take this back. What you would create is you would create a division, a necessary and desirable division between the people who are on the streets because they're having an economic hard time and the people who are on the streets because they choose it or because they're chemically addicted or because they're mentally ill. Right. That that those are different beasts. Right. When we're talking about somebody who's sleeping in their car because their job let them go and they have a kid that they have to pay for and they're having a hard time getting back on their feet. That's the person who's falling through the economic cracks. But then you have other people, of course, who want to smoke a bunch of crack and do a bunch of heroin and be raunchy and be rowdy. Well, then, yeah, those people are going to be on the streets because those are the choices they're making and they need help for being chemically addicted. But that's not who's going to live in these houses. Uh, So I think a program like that could put a real dent in our problem and that would that's just political will that's just political will to gather the land to find you know institute the programs i saw one program where it was city land and the city was leasing no wait was it city land the city sold the land i think to a private benefactor and then the private company was leasing the land 
uh, and they were they built tiny homes or they leased it to a company that built tiny homes. And then the tiny home company was renting the space out to people who were guaranteed to get SSI. And they were charging them something like seven hundred dollars a month in order to live in these tiny homes. And that is the forward edge. <laughs> That's the forward edge of what we can do for America's poor is charging them seven hundred dollars a month. <laughs> is like this is a capitalistic yeah individualistic country um and it's i mean i feel like it's always been that way and it's always going to just be that way like it's our culture to be individualistic in america and like you know once again anecdotally um my parents once again are vietnamese which is totally different culture east asian uh communal collectivist culture hmm. um much more tight knit than your average American family. Um, but as we got Americanized as me and my cousins and, you know, all our aunts and uncles got settled into America for sure. Like it's not how it was since I was a kid where we would have parties and, you know, there would be friends and family around all the time. America turns everybody into a much more individualistic person, mm. much more capitalistic person. Mm. Every man for himself in this country. Mm. But that's not to say like you know that's not an excuse like america has the most resources of any country in the world yep it has the ability to do exactly what it wants to do it just doesn't care because it's like you know what like the rich just want to get rich and yeah it's not communal that like, like you said like the rich guy will say to you like hey it's not my problem you go do something about it it's like, wait yep. a minute, you're the one with the power dude yeah you're the one that could actually change something i'm just a, a layman you know i'm just a normal dude like, yeah what can i do so yeah, like um And then the response is, "Oh, but if you if you threaten to tax away any of my money, I'll leave." This is this is the position we're in in this country as common people. If we say to a rich person, "Hey, we need help." They go, "Oh, why don't you do it?" They go, "Oh, well we're going to tax you." "Oh, then I'm going to leave." What the hell? You know, what, uh, what 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 state are we in? And um just expanding on this idea of a, of a community with with a solar panel array that that supports people living under it, people who who aren't Offer, who don't have a lot of economic value, uh, the rich person could then be guaranteed a power contract with that city for owning that land. And so this is all you would tell this rich person, look, you pay some management company to manage it. You own the land. You're going to make money just for owning the land and paying a management company. Uh, and we're going to set some standards, right? They're, they're going to have to keep it clean and nice. We can't have this place being an eyesore and, and blah, 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 blah. But as long as it's peaceful and the and the power sales are running, you're just going to be making money just for being rich, right? You're just gonna, you don't have to do anything else. Uh, and I think there might be enough wealthy people that would actually engage in the activity for the social benefit of doing that, right? That would be an amazing thing. Can you imagine communities um, that are in, built entirely around the principle of sustainable energy and uh, and attentional autonomy and financial freedom, uh, pseudo financial freedom? I think it'd be yeah. a good thing. I, you know, like I think the world, I mean, America for sure has the, once again, the resources and the technology to accomplish whatever it wants at this mm. point. And you can, have, yeah, like you said, you can have ethical business that is also profitable. Think of Elon Musk, right? Yep. People like that. It's like, once again, I, I feel like the rich class, there's a lot of them that are just out of touch with the common person and could care less. Like, even if they were presented this opportunity to make money to help society they would just say no i don't care i'm just gonna go on my yacht now see you guys later 
Um, and then when our when our mayor Garcetti, the mayor of Los Angeles, are you in L.A. County? Are you? Oh wait, you told me where you're living. You're in Vegas now, so you're you've got <laughs> you've got a ways away. So our mayor just bought, dude. This guy just bought something like I don't know eighty tiny homes because the tiny homes for for homeless is a big idea. It's a popular idea that I'm participating in here. He bought like eighty of these things for something like eighty thousand dollars a piece. You can, you and I could buy these things off Amazon for about eight grand. Uh, I mean, for ten, for ten, he's paying ten times what these things are worth in order to put them up in the city. Uh, oh, is like they're they're hooking their their buddies up. Gotta you know, be, like, gotta you know, be. Like, I'm gonna build you these houses. I'm gonna charge you eighty. Okay, you know, like I'll I'll do that contract. We'll just split the profits together. It's all it's, you know. It's once again uh crony capitalism whatever you want to call it and like okay let's just take for instance the california bullet train mm. i was an idiot i voted for it like i still believe in the fact that you can use it for good but like at this point like we spent so much money on this bullet train i think it was something like three billion dollars per mile jeez louise crack. some crazy number and then france which is an equivalent first world country does it for around 30 million i think a fraction of what America does. Yep. And then let's not even talk about China who builds freaking high speed rails across like the entire country in the span of like 10, 20 years for like pennies. And of course you can't, you know, like Chinese labor is much cheaper. I understand that, but we can at least compare it to say the Europeans and the EU with the French. Why is it that California costs so much to build a mile, right? Like, and that's why it's going to take us like 40 years to get this bullet train. And by the time we get the train, it's going to be obsolete because then we'll have flying cars from Tesla or something. You know, what just occurred to me. It's probably this terrible self-reinforcing cycle. Uh, so in California, you probably can't find a construction worker to uh, do a job for less than 30 bucks an hour, maybe 35. And so because of that, your cost estimates go up. And so because you don't have the infrastructure, then now you what? Because you don't have the infrastructure, it just. I don't know how that would make I don't know how I forgot. It occurred to me that how it was reinforcing. But that's probably the reason why we don't have is that you can't pay us less. Right. You you have to pay Californians a lot to get anything done. Because Uh, regulations, the cost of living in the state is all ridiculously high. It's catch 22 at this point. mm. California is like, you know, like to build anything, to do anything, it's going to cost a lot of money. Um, and yeah, now that there's no infrastructure, the infrastructure is crumbling. The hi- highway one just broke apart last week. Um, so yeah, like, but it, you know, what else just occurred to me. I saw a stat where what the CEO of company now typically makes 300 times what their common worker is. So these companies that are putting in the rail. I shouldn't even be pinning my pin on the workers. It's probably the CEOs that say, ah, we have to average in, you know, we got to make sure we're making 200 times <laughs> what our workers are making and so if we are making at least 200 times what they're making then we can't sign that deal but at the same time california has is like it's like the fifth largest economy in the world because it makes so much freaking money yeah and we have like what silicon valley is one of the most prosperous uh areas in the states yeah and if you i don't know if you've ever been there but it looks like a piece of crap considering how much money there is out there it, um, really i've only been to ultra nice parts then i don't know like to me i'm not impressed like it, it was just, it looks like any like it looks like irvine you know it looks like any part of southern california nothing tremendous 
I went uh, to the part I saw was tremendous, uh, but I didn't see much. I didn't see much. I went to I was in. Is it called Redwood City? Let me see. I think it's called Redwood City. Yeah, that's like Silicon Valley, one of the cities there. Yeah, uh, Redwood City. So Redwood City area and then Stanford area, Palo Alto. So I was around there and uh, I didn't make a I didn't make a large triangle, but I made a triangle and everywhere I went was nice. And I said, oh, yeah, I see. How, I see why you people are up here. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's nice, but at the same time, you drive on their highways and you're like, this just looks like any part I, of LA. I didn't spend a lot of time on the highway. Yeah, it's just like, I don't know. There's a lot of shabby parts. Of course, there's always going to be good parts. Mm. But they're not, not to me, to the point where they're super impressive. Like, I'm sure mm. like Google campus, but that's private, right? So, of course, when you're a trillion dollar company, you can build a super impressive campus. Where I went uh, was the, it was some little district, some little street. In Palo Alto, uh, we went to a little French restaurant, and it was it, it was all a, this little walkable district. But like I said, I saw one block, so I'm not judging. Uh, I I understand. I believe you about what the area really looks like. Uh, the level of wealth inequality in this nation is absolutely unsustainable. We have to do something meaningful to correct it. And what I'm arguing for is attentional autonomy for everyone. Uh, I'm arguing for pseudo financial freedom for everyone so it, it occurred to me the other day that financial freedom and attentional autonomy are two overlapping but not identical concepts so financial freedom to me suggests that you yourself have the means to keep yourself to keep your attention autonomous for the rest of your life that's what financial freedom means to me there's nothing anybody can do to you to stop you from doing whatever you want for the rest of your days because you have those means and so th in that case, you have financial freedom, but you and you also will have attentional autonomy. But I can imagine a scenario in which someone has attentional autonomy because they're able to live under a basic income. Now, this person wouldn't have financial freedom um, because it's not it's not their means. Right. They're they're living on the dole. They're accepting what the state is giving them and, and living within those means. But it's not their means. They have they haven't developed any means of their own. Um, and so I wouldn't call that financial freedom. Exactly. But I think that I think that people deserve attention autonomy. And not only that, like Elon Musk, Elon Musk is looking to the skies. He's looking to the cosmos and saying we need to get to the cosmos. And I'm arguing from this same position. We need to get to the cosmos. How are we going to get to the cosmos if the people who might be astrophysicists and the people who might be nuclear physicists are instead forced to work for Walmart, are instead forced to sell themselves to whatever bidder they can go spend their energy for? We need to free these people. Uh, so we can have more scientists, more engineers, more, you know, less hedge fund managers, less lawyers. I come from a family of lawyers. I love lawyers, less lawyers. Right. We, we need more scientists, more engineers um, and people need their free time in order to pursue these these very difficult activities, because a lot of people, you know, I'm one of them. I'm one of the people who went down the science route until I hit a barrier and said, eh, not for me. Science is hard and it's not rewarding and it's kind of thankless at times. I'll, you get a lot of social reward for saying you're in science, but inside of the lab, <laughs> it just kicks your butt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, like 
I agree with you. I, I think government should take care of its people and the people should take care of its government. Mm. And I guess I'll go on my conservative rant now. Like, um, I, you know, I hope that we could accomplish something as, as, as you suggested. Like, I hope America could start taking care of its people and people can then take the time to self-actualize and become the best of their potential. Mm. Um, I hope for that day. It doesn't seem like it's coming anytime soon because once again, like you voted for Biden. I voted for Biden, but I believe that with Biden, we're just going to get the same old crap that we got with any other corporate Democrat. Mm. So nothing's going to happen. It's better than Trump. Yep. It's better than Trump, but th- this country isn't going to change too much. But it doesn't, it doesn't address the issues that got Trump in. Exactly. So we're going to get the same old crap. Yep. And once again, the rest of this country is a third world nation. People don't realize this. Drive into Ohio, drive into Indiana, drive mm. into Oklahoma, drive into Louisiana. I can name all these states. I've seen these crumbling cities, mm. towns. It's terrible, dude. And it's like, I don't blame the Trumpers for voting Trump because once again, there is a coastal elite and they mm. don't give a crap about people in Ohio, people mm. in Pennsylvania. It's true. It's mm. true. Ask any LA person if they know what even comes out of Ohio. But it comes out of Pennsylvania. They won't. Most LA people will not understand the damn thing that comes out of most states outside of LA. That's how LA people work. So if I told you, if you said what comes out of Ohio, what counts comes out of Pennsylvania, I'm gonna tell you corn and steel. Am I? And it used to be steel. It's just corn steel. now. Out of Pennsylvania? <laughs> yes, I was oh. actually. Uh, I lived. Um, I worked in Allentown, uh, Bethlehem. So that's like near like an hour outside of Philly. I was a substitute teacher there. Mm. I went to the abandoned like uh, steel mines and it's just like, it's sad, man. But wow. Yeah. I guess China uh, makes all the steel, huh? Everything. Well, that's the 90s. That's what happened in the 90s was when Clinton, a Democrat, uh, I think he created NAFTA and that just gutted all of these, uh, you know, like uh, just American industries like mm. steel. They went to Mexico, they went to China, they went wherever else, right? Mm. Anywhere that was cheapest. So that was a crappy trade deal on Clinton's part, which devastated like all these states. Because once again, Ohio is not like, it's never going to be a Silicon Valley. They, it just doesn't have that, that level of talent concentrated to create a Silicon Valley. Um, so yeah, Ohio just is decaying. Most of America is decaying and the average American doesn't understand this. And that's why, yes, we could hope for a government to fix this. Mm. I don't see it happening anytime soon because what's the difference between Biden and Clinton? I don't think much, you know. Um, I don't I don't think so either. No, same, same, same group. Um yeah, what do you think? Name. What do you think we should do? What do you think? Um well, this is my conservative rant. You know, like once again, I understand that you know this is anecdotal. I have been lucky to have the great friends and family that I've been supported by but at the same time my life wasn't exactly easy either you know hmm. I, I told you i came back from new york city with 200 dollars to my name that's right at one point i was almost homeless this was 2015 hmm. um and i don't like to ask favors of my family that's just who i am but my friend bailed me out he, he got me a room um and i just kept working and then i got that big break you know when i became uh went to work at that charter school in Sacramento mm. and that changed my life around. And with that, I just kept going, right? I, I taught myself how to code and here I am today. Mm. Uh, I'm financially uh, independent in a sense. Like I have no debt. I, I feel like I, at this point, I've worked myself to the point of independence that I, I, I choose the jobs that I want. Mm-hmm. You know, 
Jobs no longer control me. Money no longer controls me. You have earned your attentional autonomy. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're saying, right? Like Mm -hmm. the government needs to provide this to the people so that they can self-actualize and become the best person they they can be. Since that's not going to happen, I think American culture needs to empower themselves and try to at least achieve that. I feel like American culture is so... Like they embrace the victim mentality and they want... It shouldn't just be on rich people to save them, you know? Mm. It really mm. shouldn't. Everybody of every class, middle class, lower class, upper class, everyone needs to do what they can to help their community and to help themselves. Mm. And uh, it's not just the, the, the right side is all wrong or, or the left side is the only right, you know, are the correct ones. There's, there's something to both sides. Mm. We need to embrace both philosophies if we're going to move forward as a people, uh, as fellow countrymen, because like at this point, I feel like the country is so divided. It's like both sides don't even want to hear each other, you know? Yeah, no, that's that's part of the reason why I argue so fervently for the common. Uh, I love my conservative countrymen. Uh, they understand the Constitution. They have a proud heritage. Uh, we are one nation. Um, and I, I love that, right? I love that. And I'm arguing... For a principle. So I think that the one true currency is attention. I think attention is the thing that is valuable and attention is the thing that creates value. Uh, And so what what I would like to see us do is honor that in the economy some way, Uh, because it's not wealthy people that generate value. Trickle down economics has the philosophy wrong uh wealthy people don't generate the value they get wealthy because we the common did something for them that's the only the only way you get wealthy is by doing something that pleases the common and now capitalism is a system built on ostensibly built on that principle that if you do something that pleases the common then you become wealthy. That's the beautiful principle. That's the baby in the capitalist bathwater that we have to keep alive. And the, the woke left has completely, <laughs> completely lost track of what capitalism has done for this uh, global culture. Uh, so many people are living so much longer, so much healthier lives. China's gaining this, uh, beginning to gain a middle class. Uh, I, it, that was truer, I think, the past 15 years and it's been the past five. Anyway, capitalism yeah. is, is, is a great system. And one of the things that's great about this concept is that it allows for it allows for people to look around at the common and say to the common, what makes you happy? And then the the things that they are willing to exchange their money for is what generates wealth. That's how we got cell phones. That's how we got uh, bullet trains. That's how we got uh, the Internet. Well, yeah, that's how we got the popular Internet and the Internet that we know today. All right. That's that's how we got democracy by appealing to the common. Uh, and so what we need is a system. Th- and so we just need to fix the parts of our system that are now punishing the common. The, this this yeah. this never ending debt, this borrow to get in the house, borrow to get in the car. And, and you have you this this cutting off the way that this country cuts off the common today from the benefits of the work of our ancestors is atrocious it's gross and it's horrible we deserve to benefit from the sweat and the blood of our ancestors as much as any wealthy person Uh, and so i i think that we need to reimagine our economic paradigm that says 
you new people do stand to inherit from the work of your ancestors and here's how and here's how we value uh, the things that you think are important, you, the common. And that's why I argue, and to your point, that's across left, that's not left or right. That's not left or right. Yeah. And yeah, no, I, I, I believe capitalism is a way better system than communism. And that, I think that's been proven at this point. But yeah, yeah, America has gone to the point where it's become, I guess, you know, the term is crony capitalistic. Or it's an oligarchy where, you know, the power is concentrated in the few corporations that basically buys all the politicians, has all the control. And then that, that need, definitely needs to be addressed, right? So like, yeah, everything on the upper tier and upper class needs to be reworked. But I also feel like the culture of America needs to be reworked. And yeah. that, that deals with the lower class, the middle class. Um, and, you know, you have the woke left that's all silly. Then you have the, the, the these Trumpers who have gone, you know, some of them have gone so far right mm. with like their extremism that there's like QAnon now. And it's like, all of this just comes down to, I, I think Americans, there's a lot of victim mentality embracement. There's always like finger pointing. Nobody takes personal accountability here. And it's like, in order to grow as a person, you know, like you need to understand that you are also a part of your own misery. So if America is poor and mistreats you and, you know, you're a victim of it, you, you know, you have to empower yourself and say, you know what? I, I am also adding to this by not doing anything about it. And I can actually do something, right? So I believe people should, and I guess, you know, that that's a conservative mindset is like, do something about it, man. Like, take care of your own destiny. Like, I know there's, once again, I've worked with people and teens and students who were at risk. They have terrible family backgrounds, you know, and... The thing is, a lot of the times they don't even understand that they're coming from terrible backgrounds. And it's a lot of, I guess, understanding yourself. Mm. Why are you doing terrible? Is it you? Is it the country? Or is it the people you surround yourself with? Mm. Maybe it's all three. And you need to reevaluate and you need to start figuring it out. Because once you're 18, like there's no one left to blame besides yourself, man. Yes. Um, so this, this harkens to... Uh one of the one of the core part tenets of my philosophy which is uh choice and responsibility so when you're born you're born with complete luck it's blind luck you might have wealthy parents you might have poor parents you might have loving parents you might have hateful parents you might have no parents right you're the conditions of your birth are completely blind luck but by the time you're 25 years old the conditions of your life from that point forward are now your responsibility. So the question is, how does luck become responsibility, right? I'm not responsible for how for the conditions of my birth, but I am responsible for the conditions of my life when I'm 26. How does this happen? Uh, and so one example that I use is let's say you're a five year old kid and you're standing in line next to uh, your older cousin who's eight. And so to you, he's an adult basically. Uh, and he's very cool and you really dig what he does. And you also have this TV show and this favorite TV show you have, the hero and it always tells you to not steal. It always says, hey, stealing's wrong, stealing's wrong. Your parents are divorced uh, and your memories of your mother are always fond. Whenever you think of your mother, you think of how much she 
picks you up and hugs you and holds you and kisses you and loves you. And that's that's your impression of your mother. And your father, unfortunately for you, has pulled you aside and said, your mother's a terrible person and she deserves every bad thing that comes to her. You know, they, shame on him for saying it, but he said it to you and it's stuck in your ear. And it's now an earworm that you have. And you're five years old and you're standing in line next to your cousin minding your business and your cousin elbows you really quickly and he gestures towards a $50 bill that's hanging out of your mother's wallet your mother's standing just in front of you and as soon as he elbows you and you you know what he's mentioning he's he's actually saying hey I should take that $50 bill and so he's getting you to nod he's trying to get you to nod your approval for his theft this is what he's doing and so you didn't ask him to elbow you but once he's elbowed you and once you understand his intention now the game is afoot and so these four images run across your mind the way your mother treats you, what your father said about her, the way you feel about your cousin who's now goading you to be part of his team, and what your favorite hero has said on TV. These things just flash in your brain over the course of two, three seconds. You don't control that. And so either your head is going to bounce up and down or your head is going to go left and right. Either you're going to support his criminality and become part of his little team, or you're going to reject his criminality and you're not gonna be his criminal accomplice. One of those things will happen. After that action happens, it is now, you have to now take responsibility for the way that you acted. And a lot of our life, when you really pay attention to it, uh, especially in these moments of intense uh, forks like this one that i'm describing a lot of our life happens in the the millisecond nanosecond hindsight right now i'm thinking about the i'm thinking about the ways that i might phrase the the end of this uh rant that i'm going on this is an example that my favorite philosopher one of my favorite philosophers sam harris likes to use uh he says, I'm thinking of the ways that I might end this thing that I'm saying, but the actual words that I use once I get there will have been almost as much as a surprise to me as they were to you. <laughs> right. I didn't know I was going to say it like that. But then once I said it, now I have to take full responsibility for saying it that way. Uh, and so this is this is an idea that I think if if if, you know, widespread enough people would not be able to say things like i have to do this because of da 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 no 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 you don't you never after 25 you never have to do anything you choose to do right you don't you don't, i don't have to go in the streets i don't have to throw bricks i don't have to say, you don't have to protest you don't have to do anything you choose to do that and so when people when you force people to say that they are responsible for the way that they act and for the way that they behave then it it I think that helps. I think that helps society move in the direction that you're talking about. Yeah, and uh, once again, I think that comes down to accountability. People mm. make excuses like, "Oh, I have to." You know, a lot of people say, "I have to." Like, and when I was young, I, I had that familial pressure of my mom and all that too. And um, you know, like once you realize, wait, I'm my own adult. I this is my own life. You got to make your own choices to make yourself happy, man. Don't mm. put the don't play don't pass the blame on others just because they influenced you you know once again you're an adult 18 25 it doesn't matter right like mm. you have a brain now when you're young you're impressionable it's easy to get led on and 
even at 25, like I made mistakes. I, I continue to make mistakes. Oh, I mean, mistakes are always going to happen. The reason the reason I use 25 over 18 is that the prefrontal cortex actually hasn't completed myelination yeah. until you're 25. And yeah. so between the ages of 18, 25, you're still in your final stages of development. You aren't biologically a mature adult until you're 25. Even though in the eyes of the law, <laughs> in the eyes of the law, you're an adult at 18. But in the eyes of bio, you're not an adult until 25. Sure. And you would know better than I. But like even at 30, I'm still, you know, in my 30s, I still made some stupid choices here and there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And it's it, life is a continual. Me too. Me too. Wow. You're not you're not the only one in that boat. <laughs> and you know what? I think it would make some stupid ones in my 40s, too. Yeah, I probably will. And yeah. it's like because you, you you have to learn from your mistakes and you have to take accountability for those mistakes because who does it? It's you. Mm. It's like you can blame you can blame it on Trump, you can blame it on Biden all you want. It's not gonna do any damn thing for you. You can blame it on the government for not being fair. It doesn't do you any favors. You fix your own problems, you know? And you know something that you hit on that I that I want to touch on is the age of information and what that's done to our culture. So we used to think that the internet would make us all smarter. It turns out the internet has made us all much, much dumber. And we did, just didn't anticipate it doing that, but it has. And so now it's so hard to formulate beliefs that are likely to be true uh, because there's so much information that you could get in a moment's notice that supports whatever bias you brought to the table when, before you performed your search. Uh, and I think this is what got us the insurrection of January 6th. I think this is what gets us black block throwing bricks uh, through state buildings in Portland. Uh, and I don't see it getting better. I don't see it getting better before it gets worse. Um, what do you think? What do you think about what the age of information is doing for our cultural division uh, and ways to yeah. remedy it? Yeah, it's just like that, 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 that's a whole thing that I've been talking about a lot recently with my mm -hmm. friends and family. Mm -hmm. You know, work, once again, you and I work in tech um, and yeah, the internet, we grew up on the age of the internet, you know, mm. I was 15 when I first popped into AOL disk and popped it up and it's like, whoa, you can search for all this information. It's You've so got cool. mail. No, like you could talk to your friends and like, all this stuff and nobody thought like it would lead to where it is today. But yes, the internet, I think is such a powerful tool. And just like a gun, it could be used for good or it could use, be used for bad. It's just a tool. Hmm. And it's a tool of information that, like, we could either use it to self-destruct or we could use it. Like, basically, the smart people have gotten super smart and the dumb people have gotten super dumb because of this tool. It's, it's a, yeah, it's a double-edged sword. Like, we don't know. We didn't know where it would lead. And, yeah, exactly. This is why you have people who self-brain wash themselves with conspiracy theories that are fully nonsensical now they so, now they aren't nonsensical to them though no it's not because they're that delusional that they self brainwash themselves so much that they believe it's now reality that like um just take for instance uh bill gates creates 5g towers to pass on covid yes you know and it's just like dude are you serious that you think that 5G, which is just another freaking wavelength, can cause COVID, which is like a biological virus, you know? I mean, my friend sent me a thing the other day that the Texans in Texas, because of the whole incident with the snow, they believe it's Bill Gates causing the snow. How many? How, <laughs> tell me there can't be that many that believe that. 
Yes, and that, that's just how crazy it's gone, man. And it's like, why? Because there's Facebook passing on these stupid memes. There's YouTube with all these propaganda videos that you could go down a deep, dark rabbit hole. Just, yeah, once again, you can research whatever you want. Mm. And whatever your bias is, doesn't matter if you're left or you're right. You're going to just jump into your echo chambers and you can go deep dive for like days on end because there's endless information. And who creates these information? Trolls that are making money off of ads and people don't understand. Once again, marketing, that it's all a big marketing thing. Everybody creates a website most of the times for content to make, to get attention or for money or both. Mm. It's like, why did they create all these QAnon like uh, websites? Why? Because of money. The guy just wanted to make money and he's just spouting out what sells just like Alex Jones did before him. Mm. Mm. What do you think so, we do to get better, get over the hump? I don't know, man. Inter the internet is uh, its a tool that can't go away at this point unless mm. um, we go like the Chinese approach where it's like fully censored by the government. And it's funny because you, you said you think Xi Jinping, the, the president of China, is a benevolent guy. To I me, do. It's total opposite. Um, but yeah, like they, they have total control of their people. Um, I guess I should say that I think Xi Jinping, uh, just to be clear, I think Xi Jinping is benevolent in terms of he himself is or see he, he himself sees himself as truly operating for the benefit of china of the chinese people and that he's getting results for the chinese people and i think he's doing it better than putin uh, there are, there are putin supporters in russia uh, but i don't think putin's doing it as well uh, as xi jinping is i think what xi jinping thought is bringing it to china is ushering them into the new global cultural and economic center uh, and and his tactics are brutal uh, i'm actually supporting i support a uh, a redescription of the what's going on with the uyghurs as a genocide i saw that headline yesterday and i said you know what it is a genocide uh it's it's terrible the way they're treating those people and so i don't support those measures and, and i'm not claiming to uh think that he's some sort of wise gentle king but so i call him benevolent in that i think he means well from his heart for the common people and i think he's doing a better job than not for the common and in this case we do have to say han chinese no i agree with you totally um i don't think he's a benevolent guy but he's doing a great job and i think understanding chinese people enough you know like once again vietnamese and chinese have a lot of cultural um overlap hmm. i mean vietnam was basically a vassal state for like thousands of years hmm. um and I've worked, uh, you know, I've, a lot of my friends are Chinese, Mandarin, Cantonese. And I've worked for a lot of Chinese companies uh, in my youth. So I understand it enough. There are very proud people. There, mm. there, there are civilizations that are thousands and thousands of years old. Um, and they, they have that pride. The Chinese mm. have that pride. And you think, so they like, you think they have an approach to solving the information crisis, which is by stifling it. <laughs> by total control, yeah. unfortunately when you have a rowdy group of people and china is a, it's a billion people dude yeah how do you control a billion people you have a single party system and you go total control and you and you have to have a culture that's very um just collectivist right they all just say you know what this guy is he's the man we're gonna listen to him and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have results because we're gonna listen to him hmm. that's xi jinping like you said is so effective because he actually cares about his country you know, he, he's not there just to make a billion dollars and say, peace out. Mm -hmm. I'm done. Yeah. He's there to make China the greatest civilization again. Yeah. You know, China went through a dark period for like 400 years when 
the European um, colonized like Hong Kong, British, the Brits took Hong Kong away. China was so weakened. But you got to realize this is, once again, this is a civilization that hasn't gone away for thousands of years. They just mm. had a little dark period. Now mm. they're making a comeback. Mm. Within 20 years, they went from like top 20 to the second competitor to America. And then I'm guess I'm betting within the next five to 10 years, they're going to leapfrog us and be the number one guy. Yeah. Um, so yes, their approach, I don't agree with it. I don't want a single party system. I don't even want a two party system. I wish we had more. Mm. Um, but that approach is probably the best way to say, you know what, like you guys aren't allowed to view this type of content on the internet because you, it's just too powerful for you. And you, it's like a child. Mm. Most people are like children, man. <laughs> the way I see it. a lot of people can't handle what they're reading, what they're seeing. Mm. And you've got to say, you know what, like this, this is out of your eyes. This is too much, you know, whereas America, the internet of America is pretty like, besides the dark web, like and most people can't access it, but the, the world wide web, has content that's uh, a little bit too powerful for the average person to consume. Hmm. I think, so I, th I think we are going to go the route of, let's say Italy. So there was a time when Rome controlled what half the occupied land or something like this, right? So Rome was the, the Roman empire was the empire. Uh, to be reckoned with uh, they were they were all around the world and then they collapsed right uh, and then they shrank back and so you look at Italy today uh, I mean Italy is a you know it's a nation right it's a nation it's got a border it's got neighbors uh, but you don't when you're talking about world powers you don't mention Rome anymore uh, and that happened over several thousands of years so I guess more recently who was the I'm going to Google this. I'm going to say, who was the world power? Prior guess, to America? I guess we can talk about England. Yeah, I was, yeah, so England. England was the world power just a few generations ago. And today, they're a country, a proud country, uh, you know, but they're their own country. They've got neighbors. And so, you know, they they were part of the European Union. But so I think America is going to go that way. Uh, that is to say, we were the world power for since the 19. 40s right dropped the bomb on uh, japan regrettably twice and so since then we've been the power to reckon with uh and I, we're, just, we're coming to the end of our term and so i'm i've come to terms with that i'm not opposed to america having reigned for now it will be about 80 years uh and now we'll we'll we will go our way uh, into a smaller, more internally focused country to have our own culture. Uh, I think I think states will will rise again. And so this is how I think we navigate this descent that I believe we're on. And I think it's an inevitable descent. I think yeah, what we, I think what we do is we pass the basic income. We get the basic income out, and then we embrace attentional autonomy of the common. And what people and and we encourage. Uh, I heard a very succinct phrase the other day, and I was very impressed by it, a guy named Schmachtenberger. I forget his first name, but he said we need first, second, and third person epistemology taught, uh, or you know. And so he, I think he was talking about the populace. I think this needs to go to kids. So what we need to do is pass the basic income, and then teach kids how to deal with who they are internally what they really believe about themselves 
then and also teach them how to understand what the person that you're talking to is saying and what they're expressing and what they mean about themselves and learn how to understand uh, and be skeptical of information that you read online in the world and put together uh, sets of facts to say that, okay, how likely is it that Donald Trump won the election? How likely is it actually won the 2020 election that was stolen from? How likely is it that Joe Biden actually won the 2020 election? How likely is it that Kanye West actually won the 2020 election? And then rank those things with different percentages and then admit to yourself, just like I can. I'm right here in Santa Ana. I can admit to myself right here. It might be the case that Donald Trump actually got more of the vote and it was stolen from him by a whole, whole cabal. In order, the number of people that would have been involved in this conspiracy is mind-boggling, but it's not impossible. I don't, I don't know for sure 100% that that didn't happen. I don't believe that happened. And that's what people need to know in the third person is that there's a difference, uh, a drawable and distinct difference between knowledge and belief. You can believe that Donald Trump is the rightful president of the United States. That's, that's your belief. I don't agree with it. But that's your belief. You cannot know that that's the case. I believe Joe Biden won. I don't know that he won. Um, the way we're operating as a nation and what you read on news, it would seem that more people believe he won than don't. <laughs> right. And so this is how we move through the world. And we need to teach these things to kids. And so that's how we navigate I think that's the best way of navigating this descent is that people will come into small towns and they'll be able to say to themselves, OK, I know how I feel about the world. I know how my neighbor feels about the world. And when we sit together and look at the Internet, we see what the world is happening in Washington, D.C., what's happening in New York and what's happening in, in Flagstaff, Arizona, what's happening in Reno, Nevada, what's happening in Los Angeles. OK, but none of those things are happening right here in Springfield. We do know we so we, we only have beliefs about that world. But where we know, we know what's happening in Springfield. We know who the mayor of Springfield is and we know that we're going to this party tonight and we know uh, what we're going to do next weekend and so on and so forth. And having that distinction drawn in your mind will allow us to refocus on these these civil secular values that make this country great. We can have uh, Jewish people and atheists and Christians all have a book club and their children play together. That's a beautiful thing. That's so beautiful. Uh, and we protect that, I think, first by passing a basic income and getting us from under the boot of the corporations and then embracing, as as Smartenberger said so succinctly, so eloquently, first, second and third person epistemological uh, epistemological focus. Yeah, um, no, I that's what i'm talking about when it comes to culture like we, we like it starts with the youth mm. because gen z millennials baby boomers gen x we all have our little differences but we're overall like similar enough in mindset we're americans um mm. and at this point most at least 50 percent of america or even more right have their they create these fake realities these echo chambers, they believe whatever they want to believe. And it's like, yeah, that, that needs to go away. We need to, yeah, I agree. Like, well, no, but, but we all do. We all believe whatever we want to believe. <laughs> That's just the state of, of knowledge and belief. What was that? You said that we all believe whatever we want to believe. Yeah. But the thing is, once again, there's fact that there's, there's belief, right? 
there's there's a distinction between belief and knowledge. And so knowledge, um, knowledge remains remains sequestered to those phenomena that you can direct detectly. Uh, I mean, that you can you can direct detectly. You can detect directly um, or by some machine extension. So you can know that there's a Petri dish in your hand underneath the microscope. just with your naked eyes and then you can know that there are cells in that petri dish because you're when you look through the microscope you can see the cells and you know how the interior of the microscope works and so you can know this and the only reason you can claim to know this is because i can know it as well i can detect it directly as well this is what knowledge is knowledge is direct detection by your senses by your see touch uh, taste here by your natural given senses and then extension of those that's first-hand knowledge and then second-hand knowledge or yeah that's first-hand knowledge and then you can't claim it as knowledge unless it can be detected by someone else in a similar position so if i say there's a invisible teapot orbiting jupiter that you can't be seen by by can't be detected by any uh telescope I can't claim to know that that's a violation of the word knowledge. I can believe that all day, but I cannot claim to know that. And so that's an important distinction that needs to be taught. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I guess I just call it facts. You call it knowledge, but yeah, people create their own realities where their, their knowledge is their belief system. And yeah, like, I guess. Yeah. And and then I would, I would call that a violation. I would call that a violation of the word knowledge. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's how most, a lot of Americans are going that route. And yep. yeah, we, yep. we need to change the culture where it's like, no, you know, I guess, yeah, we need to fix these violations of knowledge and uh, belief, but yep. uh, to yep. go back to the fall of, you know, not the fall, but the descent of Americans to mm. second place. Mm. I like to say that we could either go into second place through a lot of civil unrest or we could go through a nice, comfortable second place, like how mm. the UK has it. Mm. How, yeah, Italy is living. I, I don't, actually, I think Italy's not doing too well, but they're doing okay enough. Yeah, and also Where, it was a thousand years ago in Rome. Yeah. <laughs> it was a long time ago in Rome. Was ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah UK, no, UK's a better example. UK's a better example. Yeah. They're doing, you know, they have their problems. Every country has their problems, mm. but they, they're not like, I don't think the problems are as big as America's at this point. So, mm. like, there's nothing wrong with second place. I agree. You yep. know? And it's going to happen. I believe it's going to happen. Sooner or later, um, America's just going to fall into second place, maybe third. Who knows? Um, but yeah, we could do it comfortably, right? We could, mm. we could pass uh, social reforms to take care of our citizens. And uh, not everybody's going to be the greatest middle class of the 1950s. You know, mm. we're not going to live like, we're not going to live it up like we used to. But that doesn't mean like we can't live comfortably. Once again, we have the technology. Uh, to 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 and and the resources enough to give everybody. I think I believe that every American can at least live a decent, comfortable life. So, yeah, it, it, I think it, a lot of it goes down to the micro level, to the middle class and lower class, and everybody is like, yeah, we, we need to fix the issues with the knowledge and belief violations, as you mentioned. I believe that people should not be so consumeristic. And expect a life of luxury. Hmm. You know, like you can't just have your iPhones and and uh, you know new purses every week just because you feel like it. You know that consumeristic mindset is not sustainable. Hmm. Maybe we could be more 
humble in our lifestyles so that we could afford something for everybody to have a decent life. What do you, what would you, what type of ideas would you rather see in place than, than rampant consumerism? You know, I think we all should just go back down to the basics and that's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like Mm. we could all have a house, you know, it doesn't have to, once again, I feel like people are so consumeristic that the average person needs to have this gigantic 3000 square foot house uh, with two car garage Mm. or like three brand new cars every year. I'm going to upgrade my car, you know, like new phone every six months. And that's the average American. And it's like, dude, like this is not a sustainable way to live. It's not good for the earth. It's not good for your common man. Like, obviously, we're a nation that's in debt and we're broke. But yet we have all these new, uh, the newest gadgets, but we don't have the essentials to life. We don't have a proper education that's provided at a low cost, if not free, uh, you know, way. We don't have affordable homes. We don't have a good health care system. And, and like our food is making us sick, you know, like, uh, average American, like look at the obesity rate is higher than ever. So yeah, like, let's just go back to the basics of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If we could provide that for the average American in a decent way, I think, uh, it will live in like, and if everybody's willing to accept that, and that's the problem is the common person is so entitled here that they're not willing to accept the humble life. Look at the houses of the 1940s in L.A. Hmm. And any, anywhere you go, what was the square footage? I don't know. Around 1,200. Look at all the houses. In, like I'm sure in Compton like and Alhambra, all the old neighborhoods, right? You notice the houses were smaller, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because as time went on, people said, you know what? I want the bigger house. I want mm-hmm. the better. You know, I got to have it all. But you go back to the... 30s and 40s people said you know what i'm happy with a two-bedroom house i sleep just like anybody else sleeps i'm fine mm. so people were more humble uh people cooked food at home now it's like no no i gotta have i gotta go out and eat the best like you know restaurant i gotta have starbucks every day mm. none of that existed the consumerism wasn't as heavy as it is today that's right that's right i i think i think we need a return to common or, or not just common. I need. I think we need a return to local emphasis. Um, it should matter, you know. And and I, I I say this phrase so much. I actually need to think about whether it's just me. <laughs> but uh, you know, I don't have close relationships with my neighbors. Uh, I think, and you know, to be absolutely honest, it's not just me. It's got to be this this city, this county. Because I look around. You know, I live in a complex. There are probably, I don't know, a couple hundred apartments in one block, right? One campus. Um, I don't know. I wave to the people that I see. I, I couldn't even tell you the the name of the lady who lives across from me and down from me. I couldn't even tell you her name. I, I wave to her every morning, but I don't know her name. Um, and that doesn't, I feel like it should matter more. The neighborhood, right? I feel like when I talk to my, or I know that when I talk to my uncles and I talk to my mom, uh, they knew all their neighbors. They knew all the names of all the families on the block. They, oh, these were the Thompsons and these were the Smiths and the Bells live over here. And then they had this many kids. They knew all about their neighborhood. And that's where they lived. They lived in their neighborhood. But, uh, you know, for me, I I don't live in this neighborhood i mean i sleep here i eat here but it's 
the the happenings of the of the interior lives of the people that that sleep within proximity to me aren't really relevant to my to my life and my trajectory right i i live online and and you know at my family's house or it's just and i feel like there could be a, a more of a return some we lost something in that spirit when we lost the spirit of the neighborhood we lost something and i can't put my finger on it because i didn't arrive until it was gone so i don't i but i'm detecting now as an adult that there might have been something there that maybe we should look back to and and maybe other people have i don't know you know um you remember kendall at sqa squared i do yeah and you know so like me and uh jeff lee you know he had a lot of similar experiences as me um mm just living, you know, he went to the same college. We didn't even know each other. And, you know, he also moved to New York City. So we would talk travel a lot. And, you know, once again, with my background, I've lived in basically every corner of America, except for the Pacific Northwest at this point. Mm. LA people are the least kind people. Really? Yes. And once again, you just proved it right there by what you said. Um, you, I didn't know my neighbors either. I only had one good neighbor my entire life growing up in La Puente. Mm. It was a de- uh, directly across from me, super cool guy. And that was it. I knew one neighbor. I didn't talk to any, uh, you know, as neighborhood kids, you met, you know, I met a few, but they moved and that was it. As you grow older, you don't talk to any of your neighbors. You don't talk to strangers in the streets in LA, you know? Uh, and, but the thing is LA people, when you talk to them, they'll be friendly. Those, they have, they have manners, you know, very politically correct. Mm. Nobody tries to offend anybody in LA, you know, that that's just how it goes. But true kindness? No. I moved to Sacramento, dude. I know every single one of my neighbors. Mm. It's just a different world. People are super friendly in Northern California, especially in Sacramento. Um, Even New York City was kinder and friendlier than what I experienced Mm. in LA. Okay. Okay. So what I'm experiencing is part of... So my... my, That my view... That view of the world... Tupac, knock it off. Uh, That view of the world is comes from being an angelino <laughs> yes, yes. we live in our houses we don't yeah. talk to our neighbors okay and, yeah, okay yeah, the thing is you have to move you know a lot of people a lot of southern californians in general never leave because it's a such it's a such a comfortable great place to live i don't blame you if i yeah, can live everywhere I, mean, I mean you know i don't i don't own a heavy coat and uh i could pretty much wear shorts every day of the year so yeah no it's a great place yeah man. But once again, the the culture there is different than the rest of America. Mm. The rest of America is a little bit friendlier, for sure. And Sacramento was the most friendly place I've ever lived. Hmm. So it's like, yeah, it was like going back into the 1950s. All of a sudden, (laughs) my neighbors are walking up to me, giving me gifts. Nice. Doing favors. Like my coworkers, like, you know, my first coworker I met there, he was like, hey, you just moved here. Do you need me to like... He lived an hour away from Sacramento. He's like, I could drive up here for the weekend, help you move your stuff if you need. I was like, dude, no, no, that's okay, man. Thanks. What? Super nice people. And it's like, holy crap, this is just normal up there. Whereas hmm. for an Angelino, it's like someone's trying to do you a favor. You're like, hey, you're trying to scam me? What's the deal? That's the only, yeah. Yeah, that's the only reason. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> what, what do you want from me? Why are you talking to me? You know? Like, yeah. Do I know you, know you? You don't know me. I don't know yeah, you. Exactly. What are you talking about? What are you doing? Yep, yep. And the thing is, that is not that is not a normal way of thinking. Mm. Um, that's an a- Los Angeles way of thinking. New York is very similar to Los Angeles in that regard, but other cities are not like that. You you have to move around to experience how the cultures have changed. But yeah, 
to what you said, America was a simpler, different place. And even I'm sure Los Angeles uh, at one time was more communal. Um, and once again, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like we need to go back to the basics, just embrace what we have, be humble about it and just be happy. man. I think that's part of what Mitch McConnell is landing on when he tells his constituents, he told him at his most recent uh, reelection speech that he's the only person in the congressional leadership that's not from Los Angeles or, New or, New or not from California or New York. Uh, and that that hurt my 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 feelings because why is that a bragging point right that <laughs> that hurt my feelings that that's a bragging point that you can say well i'm the only one of the congressional leadership that's not from california new york so i mean geez louise are, are we that crazy but to your point possibly possibly oh, yeah, yeah. Well, there is such a thing as coastal elites and even though you're like we're not part of the elite crowd we are coastal people once again we live in our own bubbles we don't understand like what a Ohio person goes through or, or a Kansas City person goes through. We don't, man, because we live such different lives. Los Angeles is a country in itself. Look, at it, it's like mm. 8 to 16 million people just within Southern California, right? Mm -hmm. That's the size of many states combined. Mm. Mm. It's, uh, and New York City is the same way. New York City is even in a smaller, more dense area, and it's 8 million people. You know, mm -hmm. uh, these two cities live in their own worlds and they have similar values. And it's like, who are we to tell 50 percent of America how to live their lives? Like, I don't agree with Mitch McConnell. I think he's just as out of touch as any coastal elite. He's just some rich dude that's taking advantage of his conservative, like, um, and uh, I guess gullible base. Mm -hmm. Just because he weighs a Bible doesn't make him a good person. You mm -hmm. know, like look, mm -hmm. look into his history. Anyways he uses that because yeah a lot of people on the coast are out of touch with what's going on with the rest of america hmm. there's a lot of issues that's going on with the rest of america that needs to be addressed and if, once again like you said with biden and clinton it's going to be the same old crap and th with that it's not going to change anything what do you think's and number one what do you what do you think's the number one problem um that we can address with with our national politics and then what's the solution you think for that well, you know, what you said is money, right? Mm. Basic income. If it's not basic income, get people jobs. Get people mm. decent jobs. That's it. That's all people. That's the number one cause of misery, I think, in this country. Because we're once again, we're such a materialistic, capitalistic country. Money is everything to mm. us. If mm. it's not the $2,000 a month that we're going to get for free, then give us jobs that that are, you know, not demeaning, that are worthwhile. Are you for a federal jobs guarantee? Is that something that sounds like a solution to you? Once again, if it, if I could trust the government to do it right, mm. sure. Mm. Okay. Because I, I I have no problem with like okay the military right I believe I believe that the military is a great thing. I just wish it wasn't used in such an offensive warlike manner. I wish it was just a defensive thing where like we just kept our country safe. We know we have a national guard type of system where it's like okay everybody's ready to defend. And most people should serve so that they can learn the skills to become functional adults, the discipline that the military puts you through. Mm. I think that's all good. But I don't think that people should be sent to war over oil. No. You know, I don't believe in that. But, like, uh, that's a job. Being in the military is a job. It's a job that's easy to get. And it helps change people around if they don't get PTSD. You know? Mm. Mm. 
But uh, people need jobs, man. I think as soon as you provide people jobs, like decent, well-paying jobs, they'll be happier people. They could have the means to take care of themselves. And uh, once again, self-actualize. So either give them $2,000 a month, UBI, or get them freaking jobs that they, that they could use the money to self-actualize, you know? I think what's, I think what's most valuable is, is whatever you enjoy. Uh, so I think enjoyment is actually a very deep concept uh, that, that gets a bad rap uh, because it's tied up with hedonism and it's tied up with immaturity and, and uh, hubris and, you know, a lot of things that we do when we enjoy them. Not everything that's good to you is good for you, but. I think the the deeper concept of enjoyment is actually divine uh, and I'm using divine not ironically, but not I'm not religious, uh, but I use divine to mean that we are inside of something and we don't know what it is. And so this fact, the fact that we don't know what we are needs to land more heavily on more people more frequently. Uh, we don't know what this is. We're just here. We, you, you just wo you just woke up in a black void, <laughs> right? That needs to panic some people a lot more than it does. Uh, we don't know what this is, right? But we have we are but we are made of the stuff, right? We're made of the stuff that this thing is. Uh, so that's cool. Hey, we're here. We're made of the stuff. Okay. And I think one signal that we get from one transcendent signal that we get from the beginning of the stuff is enjoyment i think that's a signal if you enjoy something do it do that thing if you're having a ball go have more of a ball right go go do whatever it is now there are social constraints to enjoyment right you aren't free your your freedom ends at the tip of my nose uh you can't just go around kicking puppies because you enjoy it right you will suffer severe social consequences for that and so i think we keep enjoyment in check, and I think we, we readily keep enjoyment in check, but I sincerely believe that it is enjoyment, the concept of enjoyment, that carries us forward as a species and as a culture. Elon Musk, to one of our earlier points, he does what he enjoys. He's enjoying his life. He's leading us all into the future, <laughs> almost single-handedly, uh, and he's doing what he enjoys. I heard a Nobel Prize winner, uh, this was months ago, he said he, in his in his speech, uh, it was actually a roundtable. And so he made the point that what you need is more people doing the work that they enjoy. And he got a big round of applause. Da, 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 da. And I thought to myself, yeah, tell that to somebody who's uh, on the back of a truck right now unloading boxes because he's got to feed his kids. <laughs> you know, somebody's got to unload the boxes. Right. Uh, if only the company would pay him appropriately so that he could have more money to go do the things that he enjoys in his free time. Uh, and so this concept of enjoyment is not a light one. Uh, I think it's a very deep one. And so I'm for a culture that honors when people find ways of enjoying their time that also enriches the lives of others. This is such a beautiful concept to me. Uh, I'm so I'm so excited for our our next future. And I think it will be the Jetsons future, just like the Jetsons had. I think we'll have it. Uh, I think we'll get there pretty soon. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I certainly hope so, man, because uh, things were looking pretty dark prior to, uh, you know, 2021. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I'm a big philosopher, or not big, I'm a big believer of the philosophy of uh, balance and the yin and yang. Mm, mm. 
I think everything requires balance, be it nature, be it uh, enjoyment, be it work. You know, like the balance between work and enjoyment. Like if you do too much enjoyment, you do become heated. Well, have you heard the phrase work and play are two words for the same thing? I've never heard that one. Yeah. Let me look it up so I can give the actual quote. Work and play are the same thing. Let's see. No. Quote by Mark Twain. Uh, Mark Twain said, work and play are words used to describe the same thing under differing conditions. Sure. Why not, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, like I, I think we need to balance both hmm. in order to, um, once again, self-actualize, reach our full potential, innovate. Because yeah, humanity can only go forward if we keep innovating. Mm-hmm. You can't progress and like, you know, um, and that, that at this point, like in America, yeah, the geniuses of America are probably working at like at a Walmart 60 hours a week, doesn't have health care. Yep. The next Elon Musk is like some broke dude and, you know, skid row. Who knows? Uh, you, you don't give the people their their uh, their break in life. They'll never reach their full potential. And like, yeah, play comes into that. They need to be able to relax. Find out what they like to do for for a living. Find out what they do, like to do for a hobby, and that's when, when passion meets, uh, I guess, uh, the ability to achieve what you want. Then the possibilities are endless, right? Like Elon mm-hmm. Musk, he, got, he happened to come from a pretty decent background, he did. so he got educated. Uh, he also has a high level of talent, mm-hmm. and uh, with that, he just kept getting more and more opportunities in life. Yeah, I guess to be fair to, to be fair to Elon's situation and to be fair to all of us, Elon probably is a product of a, a confluence of factors that just happen to sync up on one man's life. And so it's it's maybe not, you know, there's a reason there's probably a reason. There's probably several reasons why uh, Elon Musk are as uncommon as they are. Um, but I I learned many years ago. So this would have been. <laughs> 15 20 years ago right this is a long time ago that i heard 10 percent, 10 percent of american professionals were in careers that they enjoyed 90 percent of people were in careers that, that they that they were either neutral on or actively didn't like but they felt like they had to do that's what i'm saying man like look at it does it look at the state of mental health look at the state of america the americans you know I, I, we have money, but we're not the happiest people in the world. You can look that up. You mm-hmm. know? Um, and our jobs, which ties us down to 40 hours of our life a week, at least. We're not 90% of us aren't happy doing that. Mm. that. That, once again, goes back to provide people with jobs, a decent job that they don't feel like they're killing themselves over. It wasn't until tech that I felt like, you know what? This is a job that I could, you know, like, once again, it's still a job. Would I, would I rather be hedonistic and be like on a cruise ship or on an island somewhere enjoying my life? Yeah, sure. Well, you got to find your your work and play, right? For a lot of people, yeah. their work is their play. Uh, and I think those are the most successful people. So I think for any of us, you want to find where your work is your play. And they're the same thing. Yeah. At this point, this is the closest thing to that for me mm. um, at this moment, right? Um, would I rather be doing something else? Yeah, possibly, but like I enjoy this enough that I'm willing to sacrifice my 40 hours a week mm. of my life 
doing this. So yeah, you know, more people should have uh, these type of opportunities. And to be fair, there are lots of techs and Americans just aren't willing to upskill themselves enough to do it. And that's back to not the government, but the people. The government can help the people achieve that, but the people also need to like realize this is something that's possible because you and I did it. But do we um, have do we have that many high skilled jobs for all the common class? Not all the common class, but they could take certainly a good amount out of you know the issues that they're facing. You know why are we hiring people like foreign workers uh, to come to America? The H-1B-1 visa. Because it's cheaper. It's, it's cheaper, <laughs> yeah. but the thing is, these jobs are also unfilled. There's a lot of unfilled tech jobs in America. That's why the demand is so high, you know? Hmm. Um, just, I mean, look at what happened with the COVID situation. Tech flourished. Hmm. And that means the entire time of 2020, I got hit, on, hit up on LinkedIn so many times that my resume is not even that great. I didn't go to Stanford. But I was getting hit up at least like three times a week by recruiters. Like, oh, are you interested in that job? This job, this job. Mm. Like, I, I don't even worry about my job security at this point anymore. I just know like, you know what? Like, if I want another job, I'll get another job. That's true. I'm in, a, I'm, in a similar, well, I'm in a similar boat in that I know I could get, uh, I, I know I could get a job. I have no fear of getting a job. My, my concern is getting a job that I actively enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And more power to you. you know? No, I mean, yeah. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that's what a, that's what a, a technical skill set will get you in America right now. If you have a technical skill set, you don't have to worry about having a job. Uh, you actually would. It's it's my it's my privilege. It's my honor, my privilege to worry about exactly which job I have. Right. Yeah. And the job of the government basically is to guide people who don't know how to get into the tech world. Like, okay, you know, here here's a resource, or here's. Here's a program that you go to a community college or whatever college, some type of, you know, just job training system that gets them the skills they need. But like, since there's nothing like that, I mean, there is some stuff like that. We still have the internet though, right? Mm. And I learned everything mm. I did through internet resources back in 2016, mm. this is a while ago. Mm. It's even easier now. It's like, if you're some guy in Ohio or in Alaska, wherever, and you feel like, you know, my job sucks. Do something about it. The resources are out there. I did it. Um, and I'm not the only one. There's mm. plenty of stories. Like one of the resources I used was Free Code Camp. And the reason why I was inspired was like, oh, I would read all these stories about people who did it. And they, you know, it was always celebrated whenever they would submit a story like, oh, now I got a tech job and I came from this background, that background. Mm -hmm. And going back to my cousin and my brother who were, inspirations to me and that's within my own family but there was also in sacramento there was this dude from the military and he was a vietnamese guy and he was about my height my age and i'm like and he was like he would lead the local code camp meetups and he yeah i was like if this dude who looks like me similar background could do it why can't i you know hmm. he was ex-military he taught himself front-end web development and then he got the job and you know he was so passionate about it that he would just lead the meetups and i went to one of those meetups i went to like one or two of them and i was like you know what he did it man like so what's stopping me what of the unskilled what what of what of should is your recommendation that all people should attain some sort of skill is there is there no space for people who just have no skills no marketable skills 
Um, I think unless you're like disabled or like, you know, some type of mental health or physical health. Okay. You know, of course there's safety nets for those people too. There's disability, right? Mm-hmm. The, the system. Uh, so not, not talking about disabled, just totally skilled, just a uh, regular person. Yeah. yeah. And the, there's a job for, you know, this is my, I guess, criticism of the American education system mm. is that they push college way too much. Mm. I was like, I was working with number one at risk youth. These are kids from like broken families, man. And not all of them are geniuses. Not all of them are cut out for academia in the college level. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with like a blue collar job. Like uh, there's nothing wrong with being a plumber. There's nothing wrong with being an electrician. And there's plenty of jobs for those people too. There's lots of jobs, man. Like, and nobody wants to do them because it's unsexy in America. Like, oh, you're a plumber. Oh, you know, like, look, let's look down on you. Oh, you're a garbage man. But guess what? Garbage men make six figures in New York City. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I hear. I guess I'm not. See, I'm not actually fully on board with the concept of jobs as well. So I, I, I guess I should say it this way. I'm against the idea of a job being a requisite for food, shelter, and internet access. I'm against that. I'm against the idea that if you want to eat, have a roof, and be safe from harm, and have internet access, you have to sell yourself to someone. I'm against that concept. Um, oh, that goes back to what I was saying, the essentials, right? Yeah, internet, yeah. that's the essentials. essential. Now, I am, yeah. I am for... Uh, if you want to have a nice roof, <laughs> if you want to eat nice food, I'm actually these days leaning towards the fact that people should people need high speed Internet because there's such a meaning. If you have slow Internet, you might as well not have Internet. Right. You need high speed Internet in order to keep up with with tech these days. High speed Internet is like having indoor plumbing. Uh, it's getting that important. And oh, so it is. it's it's I think that should be provided. But if you want to have, let's say, a nice computer. Uh, if you want to have nice cushions, if you want to ha- eat nice food and have a nice roof, maybe you want to have a partner. Maybe you want to start a family. Maybe you want to have properties. Maybe you want to run a business, all these things that you have to go and work for those things that requires skill, massive skill, massive effort. But I don't think that a job should be a requisite simply to have food, shelter and Internet access. Do you, do you are we on the same page there? Or do you think that's a little bit too much? Absolutely. The government should like, there's no reason why California housing is expensive as it is. Hmm. It's because the government has stifled. Once again, you know, the cost of labor of California is high because of this and this reason. Um, we, the government decided to let NIMBYs run, run the state. So like hmm. Um, hmm. certain housing can't be built. Dense yep. housing can't be built. There's no reason why it's as expensive as it is. You know, hmm. it could be cheaper. So yeah, let's once again go back to Maslow's hierarchy. Mismanagement. That's one reason. <laughs> that's the government. You know, that's the government. Um, but yeah, these things could be taken care of by the government. We should we could have more affordable housing. Like I understand everybody wants to live on the beach. We can't all live on the beach. It's always gonna be expensive, but we could still live in Southern California at somewhat more reasonable prices than what it is right now. Mm, mm. Uh, Education could be more reasonable. Healthcare could be more reasonable. And yeah, that should be like, and internet is such, yeah, it is an essential because without that, in this mod, we're living in the modern age now. 
without access to the internet, you're cutting yourself off from the competitive advantage of basically Google and the internet, which could provide you every single answer, any any single topic you would ever want to research. I think basic income would go so far to make uh, education reasonable, the price of education reasonable, because if there were a basic income, and so if 18-year-olds knew that they would get enough money to get themselves a studio apartment without having to sell their attention to anyone, then they could go get an apartment if their parents instilled in them sufficient discipline. Uh, then they could go get an apartment with an internet connection and learn whatever they wanted to learn faster than a school could teach it to them. And so I think if this took hold in culture, universities would find themselves having to compete to bring students in right they'd have to actually become attractive places for reasons they wouldn't have a monopoly on or information kind of like they do in a, in a lot of a lot of a lot of mindsets and a lot of a lot of facts i mean they have a monopoly on they have a monopoly on rubbing elbows with other people that are looking for the same information but if we could have a basic income then everybody in los angeles you know something like something between the internet and meetup that would essentially that could essentially create a whole college out of uh reno nevada right reno nevada could be one of the most amazing universities for carpentry simply because all the people that are 18 and interested in carpentry in reno have a meetup a carpentry meetup where they go talk to the city and go build stuff and you could learn that so quickly uh but of course carpentry is one of those things where you can only get started on the internet you gotta actually go out in the world <laughs> you gotta actually go out and cut some wood if you want to get good at it yeah no that that's definitely not an abstract type of work mm -hmm. um but yeah you know like and, and the thing is I, there's always going to be private schooling you know and that's fine mm. but like the public education system shouldn't be so freaking expensive you know there shouldn't be people who are indebted to the system for trying to better themselves. Cause like, I mean, look at when you have an educated population, it only benefits the country. So why are we indebting our future generations for trying to make themselves better people? Hmm. It doesn't make sense. So hmm. yeah, the basics are required. It should be cheap. It should be reasonable, you know, um, hmm. internet included, uh, energy included. Cause once again, renewables, we could be at the point where the government could provide us cheap, renewable energy, but instead, like depending on where you live, like energy could be astronomically expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't make sense. Um, so I do. Yeah, I do agree that people should work for luxury items. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. uh, I do believe there's a job for every single person out there, even currently. And if you need to upskill yourself to do that job, be it you want to be a electrician, you want to be a computer programmer, you want to be a doctor. You should, there should be something that should guide you reasonably priced in order to achieve that so that you can have your reasonably priced house or reasonably priced food, reasonably priced health care. Hmm. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. The government can provide that. Are you pro? I would imagine you're pro national health care if you were Bernie Andrew. Yeah, I, I, I wish there was a system that could, you know, um, you know what? Like I, I recently got a new job and they offered me a bronze plan. Okay. That bronze plan was free. Um, no nice. charge to me. And I'm just like, you know, I, I, I'm lucky. 
I'm not one of those people that need to go to the doctor all the time. I rarely go to the doctor. So I was like, you know what? I'll just take this. It doesn't cut into my budget at all. Mm. But with that, there's a high deductible, Mm. you know, and it's like, okay, I'll pay that high deductible if an emergency happens or whatever. Um, I think America can at least provide that to its people. Mm. A bronze plan, a bronze level plan for every single American, like, if you go to the doctor, you're going to get hit with, like, say, a $10,000 deductible, and that's going to hurt. But it's not like where people nowadays who don't have health care go to the doctor, and it's like $100,000, $1 million, mm-hmm. and it drives them to straight to bankruptcy, right? Mm-hmm. There's no reason what we, why we can't provide at least a bronze-level plan for every single American. I read a book called The, the Nordic Code. What was it called? The Nordic Code Happiness? Nordic Code of Healthcare? I don't know. But it was a woman who grew up in... Finland or Norway, I forget exactly which, but she grew up there and then came to America in her early to early to mid 20s, met uh, her husband in New York, uh, and then they moved back to raise kids. And so she wrote this book to say that Finnish people, uh, so I think it was Finland, uh, that Finnish people complain about their uh, health care. When you ask them about their health care, they're complaining because they don't know how good they have it. And American people don't understand how horribly they're being treated. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah. So you ask an American about their health care and they go, oh, it's OK. Well, you just don't know how bad it is. That's the only reason you can say it's OK. It's terrible. And, and, you know, I think a lot of that comes down to America is such a large country mm. and we're surrounded by an ocean on both sides. And to the south of us is Mexico, and to the north of us is basically America light. Uh, so, um, yeah, we and the thing is, we have such disdain for Mexicans, unfortunately, and uh, so we, we don't even try to understand their culture as Americans. So, like, yeah, we have no influence anywhere else. We mm. have no idea. Up until the internet, until 1999, or the late 90s, that, like, uh the internet became a little bit more common and nowadays it's fully blown so people are finally exchanging ideas from people around the world and now we're realizing hey, wait you know like they have it that good over there how come we don't have it but like, mm. for the longest time americans had no idea what was going on with the rest of the world now we just you know we're number one we have the best culture the best music the best everything we never thought about how people were living anywhere else so yeah we have no idea how the healthcare system is ran in japan in China, in France, in Germany, in Finland. And it's like, yeah, we think we have it good, but no, we don't, you know? Their healthcare system's terrible. Maybe after maybe as we descend, uh, we end up going the way of England, where England came came down from its position as the global uh, world empire. And then they joined the European Union because that was the thing to do uh, to bolster your economic strength against the United States and against China. Uh, and maybe as we descend, we'll end up joint making a union with uh, Canada and Mexico or a kind of a North American union. Uh, and then in order to bolster our strength against uh, China. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Spitballing. I, I, <laughs> I think that was the important thing. Um, one of the important reasons why we needed to get rid of Trump was like he was really uh, ruining our relationships with our allies, hmm. especially the European Union, which is um, they're such a powerful ally. They basically have the same level or close to the same level of economic 
uh, leverage that America has. Mm, mm. Um, and the thing is, Trump was very anti-EU, anti-EU relationships. Like uh, he was just pro-Russia, it seems like, pro-North Korea, anti-China in a sense, but also pro-China. But yeah, like he was just ruining relationships rest, uh, left and right. We also um, need to be much more pro-Africa uh, and pro pro um, Nigeria, right? And and so oh, yeah. these but, countries are getting loans from China, China. and then China. So here's here's you would think that they would be oh they're friendly with China because China's giving them loans and they but China's actually doing them dirty on the loan. So China's loaning them money for infrastructure projects. So China will go to a to a state and say, Oh, you want a nice fancy airport? They go, Yeah, we want a nice airport. And so they'd loan them the money to build the airport. But then they say, But you have to use Chinese contractors to build it. And the country goes, okay, well, we're going to get an airport, right? Yeah. And so they start building it. And then China flies in all these Chinese workers who send half of their paychecks home. <laughs> and they don't mingle in the country. They, they don't mingle at the local uh, economy. They don't spend their money there. They eat. They pack lunch from their little huts. They send half their money home. And then when the project's over, they the workers themselves fly home. They don't stay. So now this country has a shiny new airport and a huge load of debt that they have to pay back. Yeah, no, China China is very intelligent. Um, they know that Africa is going to be the next continent that like really rebuilds itself and becomes a power player yep. in the world. And they're so, they're so we have an opportunity to I think if we extend, I think if we extend because what we have in America here is uh, talent and we've got economic ingenuity, so to speak. Uh, so if we extend a true olive branch to as many African nations as we can and say, hey, let's let's partner up. Let's do real business. How about how about your company? It has, you know, some sort of American contract where, you know, I don't I don't know how I'm not an international financier. But if we just extend the olive branch and the and the the we reach out in kindness and real agreement with these nations, kind of like um, I guess kind of like a TPP, but for Africa. Um, and it doesn't have to be leaned so heavily on international business. I mean, of course, that's lean heavily on international business. What I'm saying, only the international businesses could go there. So there you go. Uh, international American businesses reaching out to Africa, I think, would be a good move. I'd be for something like a TPP for Africa. Of course, we have to have a different acronym. Yeah, no, um, I think America needs to keep its current allies, reestablish those relationships that Trump uh, ruined. Mm. And establish new relationships with other countries be it mm. south america africa middle east it doesn't matter the thing is like in order to stop the rise and the dominance of china we need to do it together as a world you know like china I, I you know there's there's right now america and the western world is the powerful influencer right mm. it's the western world mm. like it or not that's how it's been for the past 500 years mm -hmm. you know um, the Middle Ages at this point, with, when people started sailing around the world and colonialism happened, yep. it's been the Western world. Now. Yep. Um, but now it's gonna become a Chinese world, and I don't know. I'm I'm an American man. I, I like my American mindset. I like my American way of life. I don't, mm. I, don't I don't know if I could bend to a Chinese ran world. Like look at what's happening in Hollywood and video games. I don't agree with a lot of that stuff either. So it's like I'd rather have an american or western influenced world than a chinese influenced world. what's hap what is ha what are you referring to what's happening 
Hollywood or video games? Or yeah, games? about Chinese influence. I, I didn't yeah. follow. Uh, do you know what happened with Blizzard, the video game company? Oh, when they criticized China and then they... Uh, no, Blizzard had a person who won a trophy that said free Hong Kong and then they took his trophy and then had to get... <laughs> Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, basically. So yeah. one of the competitors in one of their games was an outspoken Hong Kong liberation, I guess, uh, just not loyalist, but like, you know, just he supported them. Yeah, free Hong Kong. Yeah, so with that is, hold on, give me a second. Um, yeah, with that is like Blizzard, who's backed by a lot of Chinese companies, uh, Chinese investors, was like, okay, you know, uh, this guy's crit- mm. like, hey, you're crit- you know, one of your competitors is criticizing the big Big Daddy here with all the dollars. Mm. Answer that now. So of course Blizzard. Of course, when they're all corporate America, it's like money means more than anything. So yeah, we're gonna go ahead and censor this guy, and that's what's gonna happen if we let China have so much influence. And that's already happening in Hollywood too. It was happening before video games, but video games, Riot is bought by Tencent. Mm. You know, like mm. Epic Games is owned by Tencent, I believe. Uh, there's just a lot of Chinese money. There's a lot. And it's, you know, once again, money is power. Power is influence. And China, even though they've opened up the economic freedom doors, right? They say they, they're given, they're making sure that the Chinese people have economic freedom. Uh, Chinese people do not have language freedom. They don't have conceptual and ideological freedom. Uh, they don't have, they don't have the freedom of the press, right? Our constitution provides for a freedom of the press which is meant to be that any person can speak out against those in power that's part of our constitution and so that's that's uh the battle i think that you're referring to right is that in america in the west we believe that small people should be able to speak truth to power we believe uh david and we like we like the story of david and goliath although I don't know that David didn't win with words and didn't win with a slingshot. I don't even know how David beat Goliath. <laughs> uh, do you know? Do you know how David beat Goliath? Did he him and I with a pebble? Am I just making that up? I thought it was a dragon punch, but I could be wrong. It was a dragon punch. <laughs> he defeated him somehow. <laughs> yeah, somehow. Somehow he won, right? Somehow he won. And so we like the idea of the of the small guy being able to stand up. And it's unfortunate that America has become so encaptured by the big guy that even though we stand up for the small guy in rhetoric it's in rhetoric alone we don't actually do it we aren't actually standing up for the common as a nation it's in it's in words alone uh and so as long as i think as long as we continue to as long as we continue to only pretend that we support the common and support the large and the centralized and the powerful indeed uh, then we really have no teeth as we combat China. No, China is China is a pretty difficult force at this point. Like it, all the all our money flows into China, and that's mm. not just America. That's the world, man. Like, mm. China just creates all these cheap products that everybody's addicted to. Because once again, consumerism. Uh, we can't, you know, as Americans especially, we can't just use used goods we always have to have brand new and guess what most likely that brand new item that brand new iphone the brand new nikes uh the brand new whatever comes from either china or some asian country so all money just flows into this behemoth 
that just increasingly gets power. And it, yeah, what is what is China doing with that power? It's not starting wars. It's going and making trade deals with Africa to Europe to South America. I don't know if you ever looked into the One Belt Road Initiative, but that stuff is like amazing yet scary. A little bit. I've watched uh, just a thirty-minute video on it. Oh yeah, no, I, I've been you know really not obsessed, but like that, that's like something that's just really intrigued me for the past I don't know six seven years now, mm. just seeing the rise of China because once again, man, like uh, just. 20 years ago, they were even 30. Okay. There was a time when I was able to play Diablo 2. Did you ever play that game? I didn't. Oh, so yeah. Diablo 2 was like probably one of my favorite games of all time. Hmm. I would spend my, you know, like that was like late high school, early college, just playing that game. And do you know how the concept of Diablo Oh, works? great game. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen many hours of footage. I just never... I just never played it. I've seen plenty of hours of footage. Um, I can't. I can't tell you what I was playing when Diablo two was a thing. Maybe. Uh, maybe a little bit of StarCraft. Yeah. So I mean, the way that game works, right? So Diablo. Uh, you missed out, by the way. I just i I saw it. So I played Baldur's Gate, Isometric Dungeon Crawler, and then I saw Diablo two. And the way people were smashed and blowing stuff up. See, the thing is, the footage that I was watching was people at whatever level you had to be at to where enemies were meaningless. Uh, and so they were just smashing the buttons and the enemies were disappearing and they were just running through the, the levels at blazing speed. And I said, I said, this doesn't even look fun. <laughs> I mean, the game scales up. Like you start yeah, off. I was looking at the very late game and just going, ah, this doesn't look fun. And so yeah, I never oh. I never went back and and got into the early game. Uh, yeah, that would make sense if like yeah. If you don't start from the beginning and you just see the end and you're like this game just looks like full nonsense going on. Yeah, you just run, you do your ice spell, magic spell, lightning spell in a row, blah, 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 all the enemies blow up and then you're at the boss and then blam blah, 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 and the boss is dead. That doesn't even look interesting. That was my impression. But I, I out of ignorance, I didn't understand. I, in hindsight, I understand that I didn't understand, but I didn't understand it at the time it's just like um that was probably my favorite pc game that really hooked me you know i mm. guess changed me from a console gamer to a pc gamer for good but anyways back then i would spend countless hours playing that game and when i would get like a random drop random item you know like some of it would be valuable and you could make a living just uh finding drops like back in the this is in the 2000s this guy was making money uh to pay through his college uh tuition you know like just hunting diablo items all right <laughs> one drop would be eight thousand dollars this is two thousand dollars this is be you have to adjust it for inflation yeah so back then it's probably like twenty four thousand. yeah so yeah i was making easily like a hundred bucks a night you know nice and i was 18 17 years old and it was like holy shit like i'm playing a game that i'm having so much fun that's so cool that's super cool and eventually what happens the Chinese farmers start coming in. And back then, <gasps> Chinese people didn't have so much internet. Right? What? So, yeah. There was, at first, it was all Americans just selling on eBay. And we're all making a decent wage. And then eventually, the slave, uh, the sweatshops come out out of China. And now no. they can employ people for like five cents an hour just grinding the games. So now that whole industry is done. Like, there, you cannot make money playing a video game so easily anymore unless you're a pro gamer. That's different. What? 
I didn't know about that at all. Yeah, no, that's why, like, let's just say, take any RPG, MMORPG, World of Warcraft, whatever. They've all been taken over by Chinese farming companies. Oh, you want, like, a character power level to, to max level within a day? Yeah, hire, pay a service, you know? And, then, of course, there's going to be some Chinese farmer that farms your items or levels your character. And I'm probably, like, you know, that, that's just how it works now. Like, um, but back before that, before China's rise, there was America. That was, to me, that wasn't too long ago. I mean, I'm an old man now, I guess 20 years ago, right? Mm. I remember a time when you could be in America. Well, that was, that was during the rise. So they've been rising since uh, after the revolution, I guess. I guess that was, they, they really suffered under Mao. Uh, they've been doing better since. Yeah, and they just hit, they, they hit a, I guess, a super stride in the 2000s, and it just picked up and haven't stopped since. And yeah, even going through college when I was in uh, my business program, my economics teacher was like, you know, China's GDP is 10% growth a year. Hmm. The average American GDP growth a year is 3% at best. Hmm. And if China keeps sustaining their growth, they're going to surpass us within the next 15 years. He, this was in 2009 or eight when I heard this. So yeah, it's inevitable. And he is right. Like China's GDP growth is still strong. China will eventually surpass us. But like, yeah, the thing is, uh, it, it's scary to see how fast they've risen, how successful they are. But yeah, I don't agree with their uh, censorship. I don't agree with a lot of China's philosophies on how to dictate their country. Like, America's, you know, and Western nations are much, we have much more freedom and that's a double-edged sword in itself. Like, mm. I'd rather have it this way than live in a more Chinese-influenced world. Mm. What do you think, uh, I think, I think you're spot on. Uh, I think your analysis is right on. What do you think, and I guess I'm optimistic that some principle from Western culture will eventually win out are you equally optimistic and when i say eventually i do mean maybe 2100 maybe 2200 we're going to be long and gone <laughs> by the time the principal wins out uh what was that what, what culture western culture uh so this is oh, the the, oh, yeah. the culture that's descended from the renaissance right individual individualism uh hard work democracy these ideas yeah i, I, I. Not hard work, not hard work. China's no no stranger to hard work. Just individualism and power to the common. And just a note, you know, I have nothing against Chinese people. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, once again, there's Chinese people in my family. Mm. Uh, it's just I don't agree with their government. I, I don't think it's a good thing for the world. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, in terms of Western influence, yeah, I think it's on the decline for sure. It's just like America. I think America is the poster boy of the Western world. And it's just gonna it's gonna be a slow decline of the Western world, but America will be the first to decline. Hmm. Hmm. What would you like to see happen? Um, or I guess so. I think that I think that the principle of individualism and power to the common. I think those will defeat China because I see. So when you talk about the Nike example, for instance, it's the corporate execs and the shoe designers right the high level white collar people at nike that make profit from the shoes and then it's the common chinese people that make pro well 
I take that back. It's not the common Chinese people that make powerful shoes. It's the people that own the factory, more or less common. It's not the actual floor workers that make a bunch of money, but it's the people that own the companies that can win the contract from Nike, which are more and more tied to the government. Um, yeah, so it's actually elites on both sides. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, it's American know. elites that, that benefit the Chinese elites and the Chinese elites benefit the American elites and then the common lose. So maybe maybe there will be common cause within the next 80 years between common Chinese people and common Americans. And we'll be able to there'll be a co-battle against the elite in our in our nations. Uh, you know what I see? Okay, I mean, you, you, I, yeah, you are right. Like China is basically another. China opened its doors to capitalism a while back, mm. and it's embracing more capitalistic ideals. So yes, it's elite, elite on both sides. But the one thing with China is that they have a growing middle class, whereas America has a shrinking middle class. That's, that's true. That that that's a whole different. You know, once again, that that goes back to what we were, I was saying earlier with all the money flowing into China. Mm. That's what's going to happen, anyways. But. I see the one thing that's going to retain or evolve from all of this is that say Western culture is on the decline. Mm. The one thing that's going to keep everything together is internet culture. Mm. Like you look at all the social media, Reddit, YouTube, uh, Twitter, Facebook, everybody is able to communicate with each other throughout the world, except for probably China because they have a censored internet, you know? Mm. Um, so we all like you could be you could be you could be PewDiePie. He's Swedish, mm. but yet somehow he influences our kids in America because he's the biggest YouTube star for the past like seven years. Mm. So he may be Swedish, he may be European, but like he still has influence to the rest of the internet, not just America. Mm. And this goes to say with Africa coming up. I think there's a few African YouTubers that I, I believe I used to watch that were hilarious. Um, and they have influence. They have their own style that's going to be imparted onto the rest of the world, the internet world, right? So internet culture is the next culture. Like we're going to see a decline of America as the leading force, Hollywood as the decline of the leading force of culture. And we're going to see more of a mishmash of every country contributing from their local stars into the internet culture i i think that's that's i like that i like that so if if there was a time when power had to be concentrated in nation states right and governments then that is quickly giving way if it hasn't already given way to the power of the international business and if the power of the international business were ever to fall from its height it might be giving way to the power of the internet, the power of the open, right? The power of, of open information. Uh, and that at the end of the day is ultimately what will carry us through. I mean, look at like, I'm, I know, you know what, uh, yeah. Nyan cat is that little freaking cat that has like, Nyan cat. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yep. Like you and I, like, uh, we live at one point on opposite ends of the country but we have the same meme culture. Mm. Uh, I'm sure you've seen a lot of the same viral videos I have. Um, we may not watch the same shows anymore because once again, Hollywood is on the decline. Mm. Now Netflix and everybody watches their own shows, but there's some enough commonality on the internet that we have shared experiences. And shared well, you said, you said PewDiePie and didn't have to explain who he was. <laughs> exactly. Once again, internet yeah. sensation, everybody who 
is connected to the internet would at least know PewDiePie at this point, right? Yeah. So that's the internet culture. We're a part of this community. The whole world is part of this internet community. And none, none of, I don't think many people even think about that. Hmm. Um, but my coworker, which I work with like some very genius people, man. Um, I think you would be very interested in talking to every single one of them because I know I have been enjoying it. One of these guys, he made a good point. China's internet is closed off right now. Hmm. They're a very powerful country, as we've been talking about. One day, let's just say they open their internet, they open their borders, and all of this pours out into the rest of the internet, into the rest of the world. What does that mean for us? Nobody knows. So none of us know what the future is going to like. How is it going to play out? Because what if China does open up their internet, and then their influence starts pouring into the internet culture? Their Jeez. people first. They have a billion people. You know what occurred to me? You know what occurred to me? What if they figure out how to farm influence? <laughs> what if this what if the CCP figures out how to exactly produce influencers cookie cutter uh, so that they're the greatest influencers? You know what was funny? That I heard Korean pop was created by the government. What? I don't know if it's true. I didn't research it enough, but like, what if, yeah, what if they pull off something like that, right? Let's, let's just make government back culture and export it to the rest of the world. I mean, in a sense, that's why they're buying Hollywood and video games. Is it not? I mean, that's what, that's what people say. I don't see it. I don't see the United States government controlling Hollywood. As far as I can tell, Hollywood is not controlled by Hollywood. Uh, Hollywood is increasingly being controlled by Chinese influence. Mm. And if you haven't noticed that, just take a look at how China has influenced Marvel movies. Hollywood Hollywood is out for Hollywood's pockets. They're out for whatever whatever they think they can make that's going to make them a bunch of money, they'll make it. Of course, but look at take a look at all the all the amount of Asian stars that they're putting into Star Wars movies, mm. Marvel movies, it's for a reason. Um also like one of the biggest movies that I was like, man, this is such a Chinese propaganda movie was um, Baywatch. If you ever watched Baywatch, I think that was with The Rock in it. I haven't watched that one, no. So, like, I don't know. I guess because me being Asian, I have more sensitivity to how Asians are portrayed in media. Um, you see how the like, when it's a Chinese-backed movie, Obviously, it's always like the, the Chinese businessman is portrayed in a good light. Baywatch. Um, what was it? Uh, what was that movie with the giant robots fighting like monsters? Pacific Rim? Pacific Rim. Yeah. Second, watch this. Have you seen the second one? I haven't seen the second one, no. Oh, it's terrible. But yeah, that one's for sure is Chinese produced. Watch it and you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about right away. It's like, who saved the world? China did. Mm. Like, what, what, when was China even a part of the Pacific Rim lore? You watch the first movie, it was just about this kid who wanted to pr prove to his dad or something uh, he could control a mech. And so he beat up a bunch of monsters. And it was good, just like, I think it was uh, directed by Guillermo del Toro, right? Okay. And it was a good movie, had a decent story, and it was that was it. And the second movie was like, what? It's all, it's all pro-China. Nothing but mm. pro-Chinese propaganda and it's like this is a propaganda piece uh just like anything that's backed by chinese money so that's what i'm talking about when i'm talking about like how they're that's the reason why they're investing is that they want to 
push that type of influence. And once again, with Blizzard, it's like, oh no, none of you guys can criticize our government, so we're gonna we're gonna squelch it right there. I mean, is that not influence? It is. That is. I think so, uh, you know. I think. I think we'll win out, and I think we'll win out uh, in the long run. <laughs> <laughs> not between now and then, but I think uh, I think you people like you are laying the groundwork for the ideas that will win out uh, eventually by engaging in conversations like these. And, uh, and I'll give you your your night back. I appreciate you being willing to do this. And it's such it's, I knew it would be this type of conversation. Uh, this these are the type of conversations we had on the floor of SQA playing ping pong at lunch <laughs> and playing yeah, video no. games. I, yeah, no, for sure. I just, uh, I, you know, I, I know I, we only interacted so many times because we worked at different pods at the time. But I remember when we first started off, we sat next to each other. And, you know, I always enjoyed my conversations with you. Well, I felt like we interacted a, a bunch just because we came in at about the same time. Right. And so, yeah, yeah. I, I felt like we were I actually thought you were there when I left. I forgot you had left before me. So I, it wasn't after not too long after you left that I left. But uh, will we can we do it again? Sorry, what was that? Can we uh, can we do it again? This 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 conversation we can dig deep. We can dig deeper. Uh, I didn't even. Oh, no. Yeah, anytime, man. Like uh, I, I honestly, I was like, yeah, I'm sure this is going to be a long podcast because I I remember listening to one of your other podcasts. You're like a two three hour format, and I'm like, okay, yeah, like I think of all people I could carry a conversation with. <laughs> I know it was with you, so I was like, okay, I'm safe. This is going to be a good time, and yeah, if you want to do it again, just let me know, man. Um, I will. I will let you know. I appreciate it, Jason. Uh, and we'll talk again. No, I appreciate it. It's been an honor, man. Thank you for thinking of me. And uh, thanks for having me. Yep. Enjoy your evening. All right. Have a good night, Kari. Bye-bye. Bye.